Greetings, standard nerds. This is Christopher McClanahan of DeeplyDapper.com. And this is Tom Catamonte of Third Rail Design Lab. And it's time to... Release the... Kraken! How's it going, Tom? Oh, Chris. I'm good. You I'm tired. <laughs> it's, been, <laughs> it's been another one of those long weeks. After another long week. Yeah, for all the listeners out there, it's been about a month, but we talked, what, a week ago? That's right. Yeah, yeah about that. And uh, I was recovering I was recovering from the flu. Yeah, the plague. And my really. son was. And, that's right. And then yesterday, my, my son seems to have caught another cold oh, so lovely. he's really sick what kind of and plague-ridden I, school are you sending these kids to a murka murka <laughs> hashtag murka well and then i'm i'm uh, anxious about it because well everyone's anxious because uh my mother-in-law is about to go in for knee surgery so there's anxiety that she's going to get sick mm. and then uh on a personal note i'm preparing to head out uh overseas to jakarta and i'll be there for about nine days what I don't want to do is fly sick yeah. or be there sick, right? Or, so. yeah, and come home with a completely different bug because your immune system's crappy because you're sick. Yeah, I don't want an exotic <laughs> bug. And, you know, I mean, flying sick is tough, but flying for 28, 29 hours sick is <sighs> Yeah, I can't yeah. even imagine. I've never been on a plane that long, but I can't imagine doing it sick. Yeah, it's not great. But uh, but otherwise, things have been good. It's We've had a break for a couple of days between rainstorms, and now it's picked up again. I actually went to the hardware store, and I got all the stuff for my next little project, little house project, and got all the lumber and all the material, loaded it up, and it started dumping. I'm like, ah, oh, great. <laughs> so what's, so what, I missed the window. What are you making now? Are you making a chicken coop or something? You'd think. Sort of. Almost exactly that. An otter pen? An otter pen. I'm making a. That's nice, actually. You know, milk I'm making. <laughs> I like that. I don't know about the milking, but I think it would be fun to have them. They seem very incorrigible and they cute. They do. You know what they are? Is they're just mobile nutcrackers for you. They got their little rock pouch in their armpit, and you can I do like, like that, yeah. Otter Bob, get me some walnuts, <laughs> and they'll get you some walnuts. It's a California thing, from what I've I think heard. so. I probably wouldn't ask the otter to get the nuts. That would be weird. They'd be all soggy. Otter bomb. But you're right. Crack me nuts. <laughs> Crack my nuts. So, uh, no, I'm making an enclosure like a like a like carport for the cargo bike and the kids' bikes. Ah. Since all my bikes are hanging in the in the office, which is also the the uh, recording studio for Robot Kraken. Um, but the cargo bike and the kids' bikes are out there, and they've been under tarps and. The tarps get blown off on these these storms that had really high wind. Oh yeah. Knock the tarp. I I weigh them down. Tarp blows off. Bikes get soaked, and then you know, then you got rust forming on the chains, and the seats get all soaked and everything. And so I wanted to build an enclosure. I'm just doing like a carport type deal, right? It's not fully enclosed, but it's enclosed at the top, and I'm slanting it so the water can run off and right on. And uh, yeah, so anyway, it's going to be an afternoon of work, but um, I just have to find a spare afternoon that I'm in the country and it's not raining. And for him, he means actually in the country, the United States. Whereas for me, that just means you're out in the back forty somewhere, <laughs> yeah, looking out sure. for bears, <laughs> <laughs> gathering pop, gathering popcorn. Yes, yeah. yes. You you just pick those. You you go to the popcorn plants and pick it. 
I thought that's how it works. I'm in California. So how are, so how are you doing? What's going on with you? <sighs> Dude, I have had a rough couple of weeks. I don't know. Between this like weird existential crisis about being a full-time artist and being broke and having this weird creative block, but... I'm finally muscling through it. Um, I'm starting to get a little bit of art done. I've dove into my books a little bit. But it's just been... I think part of it is just... It's almost just cabin fever. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've been locked up in this house surrounded by three feet of snow for so long. And I think we're just starting to hit a little bit... Maybe a little bit of that SAD shit. And I'm just tired and no motivation no energy to create and i think as i'm getting closer to con season actually picking up although i'm still depressed that i can't afford to do a lot of the cons i want to do at least it's something to look forward to right because i mean it's it's like i've been almost like laid up with an injury or something for the last few months we can't even take the dogs for a walk it's so snowy and icy out oh wow i mean like the dogs get a block and a half, and they have snowballs in their paws, and we have to clean them out, and it's just been it's been a long month and a half here. So this is not the part where I complain that I've only ridden twice this month. <laughs> what an outrage that is for me. Tom, it is not. <laughs> <laughs> it's been brutal, though. I mean, even for us, it's been, you know, it's been pretty bad. We've lost power a few times, and trees have come down, fences have come down, and, you know, it's just... Yeah. Everywhere, it's all contextual, but I think everyone's feeling extreme weather. Yeah, I'm just, I'm done with winter, man. I'm I'm looking forward to spring coming back and being able to, like, we've had a nice slow thaw the last couple days, and the sun's actually come out. It's been kind of refreshing. I think we hit 40 degrees the other day. It was really Woo! exciting. It's <laughs> pretty great. Yeah, so we'll see. It'll be better. I promise myself that. You know what I did uh, the other day? I had been trying to do this for a while, and we finally pulled it together somehow. But uh, my buddy and I went and saw Rogue One again. Mm-hmm. And I was interested to see whether it was going to be better or worse the second time, knowing what happens, you know, maybe some of the thrill would be gone. But I have to tell you, and I kind of feel like this was the same way with um, Force Awakens, but, man, it was better the second time. Really? It was, and 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 the second time, same that same fancy theater, but this time in the smaller, the smaller uh, chamber, and not the big one. And we <laughs> front row corner, right, <laughs> which is the, a doomed seat for any any other theater, but you could still actually see everything. It's very well designed, but kind of. I was glad I went to the chiropractor first. Let's put it that way. You know, but anyway, funny. I, t- I was it you I was talking about to. I talked to a couple of other people that they love sitting in the front row. Uh, no, but tell me more. They apparently, like, that's their thing. They love sitting in the front row because they're fully immersed in the world. Mm. Like, there's if it's no... properly designed seating, yeah. They, right. They actually tilt back and see it. Yeah. Right. They're like, I like the fact that I can't see the edges of the screen or the exit sign or people yeah, in front right. of me. I, I dig that. I can... Totally dig that there's nothing in front of you. I like that a lot. And you know what I miss? When I was a kid in L.A., there was a couple of these theaters that were the dome theater that, like, uh, prop, um, I don't know what you call that technology, but uh, that there, they, they, there's one at the uh, Academy of Sciences here, and there's a few theaters 
for movies that are still around that do this, but they shoot it up on the ceiling of a dome. And so if you're, no matter where you were in the theater, mm. didn't matter what seat you had, all the seats tilted back and you're looking straight up. It was fantastic. Mm. Right? Yeah. No yeah, more. that's cool. Anyway, it was, but even with the weird seating and, and fairly um, just sort of by the seat of our pants planning, it, it was great. And, uh, and oh, I will say I probably slightly more sober than the first time, but, you know, around the same. It wasn't bad. Um, same sort of deal, you know, mm-hmm. Whis- whiskey and beer and then just try to cut yourself off at the right time. But <laughs> I, I really enjoyed it. And also knowing a little bit more about the film now, you know, having talked about it on our thing and reading about the some of the different, I don't know, story twists or attempts to, to do things that they left on the cutting room floor and that sort of thing. Right. I was much more aware of the deliberate direction of the film this time around. And the things I wished were there, I wished for more. And the th- and then everything that I enjoyed, I enjoyed more. So it was it was all win. Right on. I was especially. I remember the first time thinking that K two S O stole it, and the second time it was completely confirmed that he stole it because <laughs> all and oh, and here's the thing: the theater was packed. It was full house, and the guy told me that it's been full house every night for that week. Um, Interesting. This late, right? And and uh, everyone's cheering and carrying on and everything else. Um, as it turns out, it was the last showing of the last night, so oh. I, I chose. I chose well. <laughs> That's weird for me to think. Of, I mean, in a way, it seems like it's been in the theater for quite a while now. But yeah. At the same time, it's kind of crazy that there's so many. Like back in the day, they were in the theaters for so long when you'd go to yeah. see a movie. Huh. That's pretty crazy. So anyway, that was what I did, and it was fun. And uh, I can't wait to get it at home and watch it a million more times. Yeah, I need, I, I'm i surprised I still don't have The Force Awakens. I kind of been <laughs> wanting to watch it again, but I don't have it. Hmm. I need to track down a copy of it somewhere. I know a few people that could help you with that, if one or two people. Only the internet had places where you could buy things and have them delivered to your house so you didn't have to leave <laughs> the house. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, that's that's all. That's what's been going on. Trying to stay alive. Try not to get sick. Watching more Star Wars. Nice. And right now, actually, I'm watching my BB-8 Twitch. Remember, I told you they updated the firmware, and he just he's active in his right. little. So right now he's he's like trying to avoid eye contact. He's looking away from me. He keeps kind of uh, uh, uh. <laughs> not enough BB-8 in the movie. Is right. that what it is? He's he's very disappointed. Yes, he is. He's getting ashamed. <laughs> anyway, so. What are you drinking, man? Oh, we move on to sucking the monkey. Is that what you were just about to ask me? I certainly wasn't, because you're in charge, man. (laughs) Am I now? Is this one of those things where I'm the captain, but the first mate tells everybody what to do while the captain just gets drunk in his chambers? Kind of like America right now? Oh! Oh, Tom! I I do have to say, I've been pretty proud to see that that one show that you've stuck with through thick and thin, despite its complete lack of relevancy, is suddenly things people talk about again. By that, I mean Saturday Night Live. Oh, okay. (laughs) I was like, the unit? (laughs) 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 I haven't seen last night's episode, but um, at the time of recording, that would be the first one back from hiatus. Uh, But I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's uh, Kristen Stewart hosted it. I see. Which is interesting, but I I have to say the little bit of it I saw, it made me like her immensely more than I've ever liked her before. 
Oh, really? Yeah. You know, I think that she gets a bad rap um, due to all of the hubbub about her relationship and her and being in that movie. Her and her not being a good actress, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Being, being, what, but <laughs> she was in a, a teen, a teen uh, genre soap where no one's supposed to be able to be an actor. No, no one's expected to be a good actor. Right. And then just got really popular, and then she got shamed for basically being the caliber that you would expect from a project like that. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah, you get pigeonholed into something like that. And yeah. And the, the character, honestly, was just so t- poorly, poorly written. I Not that I've actually seen the movies or read the book, but the little bit I've seen of it, her character just has nothing to do in the movie. Well, not like she uh, turns badass and starts killing werewolves or anything like that. Puts on a skin-tight leather suit and shoots things. Agreed. Uh, but also at the same time, when you think about it, we we forgive Kevin Costner for you know my men are tired and in need of shelter, and yet <laughs> Stewart is you know raked over the coals for playing. Do we playing forgive t- Kevin Costner for that? Do we? Tom? Not real. We really don't. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> that was such an, an odd choice for you to pick. You're like Kevin Costner. <laughs> he's a beloved actor who can't act. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, but that was the, I remember that as being the time that he. I don't remember if that was before or after Waterworld. Is it before? Before, right? I don't even know what movie that is you're referencing. Oh, you don't. No. That's Rob. That was Robin Hood. Oh, Robin and Hood he, was pre-Waterworld and post. Yeah. So this yeah. was this the film where he went off the rails and everyone went, oh, maybe he's not, you know, our our darling after all, because he started with a, a voice coach and was attempting. And so through parts of the movie, you see him like attempting this really bad accent. Mm-hmm. And then at some point he gave up. Right. And so <laughs> that, that, that there's that, there's footage of both in the movie. Yeah, the best right. part. All you know, it brought us, you know, why a spoon master and that kind of stuff. For all but the kids it, listening at home, we're referring to Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, a movie that the, came out while most of you were probably in school. No, <laughs> Skipping school to watch Robin Hood because well, it had yeah. Kevin Costner. It had Kevin Costner. The beloved fault. actor of kids of all ages. Oh, yes. I, I think they would be more likely to skip it to see what's-his-butt that played uh, his little handsome assistant guy. What's his name? Wow. <sighs> Twilight? Wait, what? I don't know. Robin of Loxley? Wasn't that uh, Christian Slater, I think? Oh, my God. Back when Christian Wait Slater was super hot and young. No one listening to this podcast has... Well, no, I should... I, let me take that back. Everyone who listens to this podcast thinks Christian Slater is some guy in his late 40s who's on <laughs> iRobot, and he just appeared out of nowhere. Right. They're like, and he's certainly this? not... Yeah, and he's certainly not aping his entire performance off of another actor, right? Because they don't know who that actor is either. <laughs> okay, fine. It has Morgan Freeman in it. How about that? Okay, that's right. Fine. <laughs> and Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio. Shockingly young. Morgan Freeman looks so young in that movie. Anyway, uh, we're a little off topic, but... <laughs> no! <laughs> what was the segment that you were announcing and I was certainly not circumventing in any well, way? We were talking about drinking with oh, sucking drinking. the monkey. The sucking the monkey segment. So, what are you drinking, man? I am drinking a Leinenkugel Bavarian Dunkel Bavarian style dark lager. Huh. That's a beer, right? It is a beer, and it has an obscenely long title. <laughs> it does. Uh, it's a medium body dark beer with hints of berries. I think yeah. those actually have a little bit of a berry kick to it. It's it's interesting. 
Uh, and is it, is it the first time you've had it or did you? It is. My brother bought this for, uh, the podcast that Devin and he came over for and I was not drinking that night. Yeah. Uh Oh, um, sorry, man. <laughs> it appears the rebellion has arrived at Tom's house. <laughs> uh, okay, okay, okay. Pretend this is not happening. I'm sorry. This is all I staying not, in the podcast, am, just for the record. I am not at all circumventing the subject matter of your your brother buying the beer. I apologize. Oh, look, it sounds like you're watching a cartoon from the '80s. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Sorry about that. That was amazing. Um, what it was, was I was attempting to figure out... Yeah, I was attempting to figure out what was going on with my BB-8. <laughs> Sorry about that. Anyway, just ignore the robot in the corner, okay? Introducing our new co-host. <laughs> that, that noise is amazing. Anyway. Your beer is delicious. What you tell me. <laughs> and what are, what are you drinking, Tom? Uh, so I'm having a delicious margarita, and I've made it with Olmeca Altos, 100% agave tequila. <laughs> Pay attention to me. I can't. It's so loud. <laughs> <laughs> I just have to figure out how to deactivate this guy. Yo, shut up. I'm deactivating you right now. No. There's no woo. All right. So anyway, this is very unprofessional. All right. All right. Okay. Okay. I Off. feel like Jawa should invade at any moment now. I mean, it's a there's a lot of discretionary income that goes into this little Sphero BB-8, but it is so entertaining. Hours upon hours after it should have worn off, I'm still amused by it. Anyway, that's part of the entire episode. So, oh, I'm sure. Uh, we're just smart enough not to have it run the whole time. Um, no one would pay attention to us. They'd be like, "Oh, oh there's that BB-8. He's so charming, <laughs> incorrigible." So this is an agave tequila, forty percent alcohol. It's delicious. Um, this tequila this time, Omega Altos, this and uh, Eve or whatever his name was. <laughs> no. And, you know, usually Tito, I... Tito, that was his name, wasn't Tito, it? Tito. Tito makes the vodka, which uh, I remember. But uh, this was a... This is sort of a... I really hesitate to say small batch tequila, but it is a... It's not a major brand. It's a smaller <laughs> brand. So I thought I would try it. It's a more expensive tequila than I usually buy, and I thought, oh, what the hell? It's it's Robot Kraken. I'll Nothing but the best. Nothing but the best. In your so blanket fort in the garage. So I mixed it with Mr. and Mrs. T. <laughs> so, <laughs> that is blasphemy, Tom. There's Grand Marnier in the other room, but it's in the other room. So Anyway, so that's what I'm drinking. Right on. And it's delicious. Watch, listen. <sighs> delicious. Ooh. That's all you <laughs> All right. That was our Sucking the Monkey slash BB-8 chimes in <laughs> segment. He's drinking nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Should we move on to something to talk about? Yeah, let's talk about. Yeah, let's talk about something. We want to talk about. You know, today? normally we go right into something like the shipyard, where we talk about things that we're drawing and stuff. But right. you know, I'm going to shake it up a little bit tonight, and we're going to move right into the review that we have for this recording session. Okay. Because I feel like we need to talk about this show. 
All right. Uh, <laughs> this is two two dudes in a pizza parlor or whatever that was. Is that the what we're doing? <laughs> two guys in a pizza place. I remember that show. That was a. It wasn't Ryan Reynolds on that. Dude, I I did a deep dive into that on uh, on the web last week for no for a completely random reason. And I realized that I had seen that show, but don't remember it. And it's filled <laughs> with people that have gone on to, almost entirely, gone on to bigger things. And yeah, because it's Anna Ferris in that too, isn't it? No, no, no. It's a, uh, it's, it's another, it's a woman who was familiar to me from other sitcoms, but never, nothing after that. And then it's Ryan Reynolds is in it, and then also Nathan Fillion's in it, right? Oh, is that the other guy? Well, the the other guy in there's a guy. The other roommate is. Another familiar sitcom guy that I don't know, Richard but then Piccolo. yeah, yeah, but then but then I saw a bunch of promo, those like uh, upfronts, those fo- those those sassy photos they take for Entertainment Weekly or whatever you know where they're doing moves, and I saw Nathan Fillion in there. Ah, and oh and yeah, the, Susan... the girl in that is the one that went on to be Monk's assistant in right, Monk right. for a long time. Right, right, and then and then also they brought in Suzanne Cryer, and that's how right. I fell into it as I was trying to figure out what she had done before Silicon Valley, which is an amazing show. Oh, you went down see a crier hole. I went down a crier hole because I wanted to see if she always played um, on the, you know, on the edge of the spectrum, uh, you know, sort of robotic characters or whether right. she had something else going on. And eh, not really. <laughs> <laughs> it was still, it was interesting. I remember I'm, I'm David Ogden, on Ogden Steers and that was really excellent. The older guy. He, I remember he was him in being. That? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I don't my brother really liked that show, but I don't remember much about it. I remember the the blonde in it being yeah. appealing to me, but I don't remember much else about it. So I was kicking off her shoes and getting comfy on the couch. We are not sir. Re- actually reviewing two guys that grow in a pizza place, fair listeners. That just is one of the things we do. That is <laughs> there is a potential yeah, that's just the way things go here. That is a potential review uh, concept, though, is reviewing projects we haven't seen in 20 years, don't remember, <laughs> and are getting almost all the details wrong. Do you think we could actually find that show? Uh, probably. It's it's probably still being played on, on like, Univision or something. I mean, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure it's somewhere. YouTube. It's, everything's on YouTube now. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's true. So what are we going to uh, what are we going to talk about tonight? We are reviewing the first episode of the new NBC sitcom Powerless. <coughs> AKA okay. Better Off Ted with Superman. Uh-huh. So yes, okay. Powerless. All right. So where do we start, man? I I try I watched it and you watched it. I watched it. Yeah. And I, and we have and we have opinions. It was very brief. And yet yeah, it so felt too long. <laughs> interesting. And uh, and and also, uh, it, this was the pilot, right? Someone someone pointed out to me earlier today that you have to be, you know, you have to be somewhat forgiving of pilots because it's how it was shot to the network, and it often was right on the heels of some major retooling, which of course is the story of the show, right? Um, and that you really have to give it, you have to give it more in order to see where it, get, you know, kind of finds its groove. But boy. Yeah, you always have to watch at least the second episode because the pilot's either going to be really quality because they worked really hard on it, they had a lot of money, they spent some good time on it, often the creators are the ones directing it, 
or it's something that's been nitpicked and audience tested so much that it's lost all of its personality. And I'm, I turned to my wife and said, I feel like I'm watching oatmeal. It's so generic and by the numbers, it's outrageous to me. Okay, so is this is this I know each there's something funny that happens with these shows when they're on different networks. They look like the network, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't I've never understood what that was because often they're pre they're recorded independently and sold, right? Right. So I don't understand it's not like they're using a special camera. Right. right. Why why is it that a show that's on Fox looks like Fox? And then a show on NBC looks like NBC. I don't get that. Yes. But it does look like NBC. It really does. It feels like you're watching a network sitcom and it's so by the numbers it's just was, crazy to me now you mentioned better off ted and, and definitely that's where this landed was that also an nbc show uh no i don't think so i that was fox right i think so yeah what well, what is interesting to me i read enough about the changes to the show leading up to it that i wasn't surprised at what we got mm-hmm. but I, it's amazing how this is what we and we land on when it starts out being the you know, damage control for the DC world, right? right? Insurance and, adjusters or, or cleanup crew for you know super superhero property damage. And yeah, then it's we kind get of this. crazy to me that they changed the entire like everything about the show between when it was announced and now. I feel like one of the things we thought. I feel like we've talked about this at least offline. That one of the things that would make it work these kinds of humans in the supers world was that you have to be fairly well grounded in the human world mm-hmm. with the occasional reminder or connection to the super stuff. But you can't just have them gawking at super stuff all the time, in which case it just feels like it's cheap, right? It, yeah, and, it is. And we watched Gotham and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. both kind of spin out. Of, they started out as their own things and then you know, focus groups and ratings and whatever, and all of a sudden they spun into just hovering as satellites around whatever superhero stuff was going on. Right. For better or worse. And I like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but Mm -hmm. this show, from where it started, that concept of them doing cleanup, um, where you could see the, like, you see a a super character for a minute and they're gone, and then it's them dealing with some particular aspect of the the fallout. Right. This this initially was designed to be a company that cleans up superhero incidences, their insurance company, basically. And they, yeah, I thought that was an interesting idea. Obviously, Marvel did it with damage control, and apparently they've got a show coming out that's right. that. Right, right. But Again, it's... dual shows of the same subject matter, which is always strange. In right. Hollywood, right. <laughs> so, yeah. At some point here, they're like, you know what? That's not going to work. Why don't we take the opening scenes of Zootopia... And combine them with Better Off Ted, but with none of the good jokes and writing from Better Off Ted. I mean, come on. First of all, no one remembers Better Off Ted, except for anyone who liked Andrea Anders or whatever her name was. <laughs> but also, I mean, come on. Portia Ross before... is pretty amazing in that, too, though. That's true. Both of which were in Joey, right? Am I remembering that wrong? Joey? Weren't they, didn't they both move on to Joey, the, the spinoff of Friends? Oh, I don't. I don't know. I never saw that. Well, fact check that later. Okay, so, but, but there, but they mutated it into a show that didn't work the first time around. Right. Like there was no, whatever traction Better Off Ted had, it wasn't in the, the farce of the, of the research and development company that he was at. Right. It was still just zany corporate, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like actually, I don't even know what Better Off Ted was doing. 
it was, it was all over the place. But... It was it it had a very a like almost Arrested Development feel to it. It really did. It was. A, I remember thinking when Arrested Development came out that, that that Better Off Ted was a precursor to it. Yeah, yeah. Like it feels like Better Off Ted, Arrested Development, and like Pushing Daisies. Yeah. They all take place in kind of the same quirky universe. This is not that universe. Though. No, this is not. This is the universe where Friends exists. <laughs> it's so weird. And that opening thing, and she's all telling her little narrative, and she's all bright-eyed, and she's like saying, oh, and she's big grins like you were saying, Zootopia. Yeah. And like she's saying, back, I started out doing X and Y, she looks the same. Yeah. Same makeup. It's like nothing about it even made sense. Yeah, it's like literally, like, that afternoon she did that thing. <laughs> yeah. And I was just so, I knew I was going to feel this way, but I felt so kind of grimy that they made Alan Tudyk Bruce Wayne's cousin. Yeah, what is like, it with just, that? It seems that's completely just, unnecessary to me. Yeah, they're just trying to name drop. It's just like uh, it's, I, I, frankly, that's even what they're the movies are doing, right? Everything has to have a Wayne name on it in order to, for people to, for the mainstream to be able to understand. Yeah. yeah, right, right, right. So, yeah, I don't know. It's it, I was a little bit... Um, I started out a little bit disappointed, and then it's it, then I soon became alarmed, mm-hmm. and then, Chris, I fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> it's like twenty minutes long, Tom. I don't remember what end. I don't even remember anything that happened after a certain point. It, it's nothing really worth remembering, to be honest. But you couldn't stay awake for twenty minutes. Come on, Tom. I. Uh... I asked my wife, I know it's bad news, right? I always say if I fall asleep in a genre project, then there's a big problem, right? Right. I asked my wife, I said, the last thing I remember was that uh, she gave a big speech and no one took it. No one took it seriously. And then she had her usual sitcom sort of like, oh, maybe I came on too strong. And oh, maybe I should have done X and Y. And, you know, Tom, and then that's all I remember. Tom, that was 11 minutes into the show. <laughs> there's like so, an entire subplot where they get fired. But they have a certain what? amount of time before they get fired, and so they come up with a project to save oh, the company that. and keep them from getting fired. Okay, I remember them getting fired. He came out, and he was, like, really random and like, oh, you got fired. Wah, wah. I'm going to go in there and drink and champagne like play, because I get to mini move golf. to Gotham. Yeah, uh, yeah, I was going to play mini golf in my office. Right, right. And then I remember her saying, we're fired, but we're also not fired, and we're going to do a thing to prove how cool we are, and that's when I fell asleep. So what happened after that? <laughs> After that, they uh, the the super annoying scientist lady. Right. Um, I don't remember her name. Not convincing. No, I did not like her at all. Uh, Jenny Pearson um, as Wendy had that that stupid device that went off whenever Vanessa Hudgens would get close. And they're like, oh, what if we modify this so that it sends off a warning when the supervillains are coming close, so that you can take cover before they get there. Okay, then. And so then they used that using pheromones and scent. And they had like 74 jokes about what color it's going to be because apparently that's a weird thing that this show does. Oh. And then they make it. It saves the company. This is all spoiler alert territory, guys. <laughs> oh, sure. <The> big spoilers <laughs> about Powerless, yes. And then at the very end, they watch a news report where Batman catches the Joker because of a new device he has that follows the scent of the Joker. Uh-huh. And Did they're like, it? oh my, Batman came up with the same ideas as parallel to it. Uh, think of if, if someday we came up with something else that Batman could use. It's terrible, Tom. It's terrible. 
I remember they had the Joker antidote and like it's like an EpiPen, but it's purple and that was green and clever, had a, actually. Well, no, and it and it was <laughs> colored like sixties Joker or, or yes. eighties Joker slash eighties Lex Luthor with like the super suit Joker kinda. fish era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, oh, but the problem with this these kinds of projects is that it's not just like. I stepped in on something that my wife's watching and I have no investment in it. Mm-hmm. This is the kind of thing where I'm frustrated that it could have been something different. But this project, and maybe the Marvel one will be different, but me, this project, if it had been random and weird mm-hmm. and a little, like, like AD, like really kind of edgy mm-hmm. and it had had a it had a, maybe a sort of a dark, narcissistic cynicism to it, yes. this could have been a really interesting show. There's a lot to be mind of people being somewhat, um, you know, just how do you deal with the mundane? How does the mundane work when there's something so fantastic over right. you that you have to be a part of? But like instead, they're, they're just good. like like base and broad and stupid, and they're just like, oh look, it's an airbag suit. <laughs> they 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 undermine themselves in that script in the beginning because she had this whole like, okay, I'm bored. There's the the star uh, starfish. From Starro, yeah, Starro from Green, yeah, right. There, Starro's on the building, and I don't even care. I'm so bored. And then next thing you know, she's excited because the Crimson, what's her name, is catching right. the train. Like it wasn't even consistent internally. No, it wasn't. And it, it just like like I find Vanessa Hudgens super charming. I liked her. Uh-huh. I like Alan Tudyk in most things, but he's so broad in this. Yeah, I can't yeah, yeah, stand yeah. their secretary. Yeah, terrible. She's she doesn't seem like she fits at all. No, like like, and Danny Pudi's doing the exact same role he's always done in everything. I think he's playing no no because I think he's playing his character from Community, but when his character had a weird psychotic break or whatever and became normal, and became the opposite of himself. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, like in that in that scenario, it was like oh weird. He's superficial and cares about things and is charming. (laughs) <laughs> um, and then he and then he reverted back to being on the spectrum again. This this feels like that, and I don't know. Maybe he'll never escape that. It's I don't possible. know. So Vanessa Hudgens. Okay, I never saw high school high school sing along or whatever it is. is. That what she's from originally? High School Musical. She's with she's the analog to uh, um, what's his name with all the steroids uh, from like uh, Neighbors and stuff. Oh yeah. Um... I don't remember that guy's name, but I know who you're talking yeah, right. about. <laughs> so they, they were opposite each other as the leads in that musical. Mm. And I've never seen her in anything. I've only seen pictorial stuff. And I've liked what I saw. <laughs> and I really like and I, you know, I really like the style in this show. She's got sort of kind of a retro thing going on with the, the A-line skirts and everything, and she has the dark makeup and she looks great. Yeah, she does. But then I want her to be frustrated and real, and instead she's being that pushing daisies reference. Yeah, you know? she's being all like la la la. Yeah, quirky cartoon <clears throat> character. Irritating. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The only thing I think I've seen her in prior to this is um, that Spring Breakers show, which I've only seen part of. The movie. Yeah, Spring Breakers. Yeah, I didn't see that. Was it good? Uh, the little bit I saw was really good. It was very subversive. Yeah, it looked like it was trying to be, and I wasn't sure whether it was going to pull it off or if it would be like, uh, um, what was the uh, what was the movie that uh, 
Oliver Stone did with uh, no Oliver Stone did with uh, Woody Harrelson and Julia Juliet Lewis Baywatch. where they were like no where they were on this like this killer killer rampage and they were like holding holding up are you talking about true romance no god damn it so all right so I'll, I'll natural born killers is that's the one to. trying so hard to be subversive and i felt like it was trying to, i mean yeah i don't actually like natural born killers at all because it does it feels like it's trying too hard it feels like like rob zombie movies the all yeah, of those feel yeah. the exact same way where they're like oh i have to do everything i can to be offensive and be homage at the same time Speaking of trying too hard, Alan Tudyk. I mean, he is so good when he's restrained. He is right, and he's he, when he throws himself into the role like this. It's he just he becomes too much of a caricature of himself. And I just saw Rogue One again, as I mentioned, mm-hmm. and I was very aware of the of the nuance in K two SO's mannerism, and I was visualizing him. In the suit, you know, in the, all the the rotoscoping stuff, right? Uh, you know, doing these things, and then we see this, and I'm like, man, how could you be C- CGI'd as a robot? Much more nuanced <laughs> than this performance. Right? Well, and even when he's being broad, he can be really good. Like in Suburgatory, yeah. when he's he plays oh, right. the the neighbor in that, he's great. I really like him in that. But he's ah, like every time he came on the screen, I lost even more interest than I'd already lost in the show. And he should it's be another one where the character. Well, it's another one where the CEO or the head of the company seems absolutely miserably ill-equipped and yeah. yet believe, believes his own stuff. So it so it doesn't even it does it's not even like he was handed the job and it was nepotism. He just seems like, you know, he's in charge but he's he's a dipshit. He really There's is no kind of playing the, the Michael Scott character, isn't he? He really is. Hey, Suburgatory, you mentioned that. Is that a good show? I like it. It's really cute. The relationship with the father and daughter in it is really good. Who plays the father again? Jeremy Sisto. Mm-hmm. Who I really I've like. only seen I've only seen one episode and I've seen it like five times. <laughs> uh, and it's the one where she and her neighbor competitor mm-hmm. both join a nineties hip hop class. Oh no. And then they're and then they and then they have this '90s hip hop dance off in the class, but it's done like a '90s, you know. That's it's awesome. done, you know what I mean? It, it gets like, like the layers. It becomes fourth wall because they're doing exactly what was happening, but they're yeah. doing it in the context of the class. And so I was amused by it. And I watched that a number of times. But. It's pretty fun. It's a really inoffensive show, but it's fun. <laughs> inoffensive. <laughs> I'll tell you what's the opposite of inoffensive, and it's uh, it's it's powerless. It really so, is. One of the best things about this pilot was Ron Funches, and I understand that he was promptly cut from the project. Really? Yep. He is the only character in this I like besides Vanessa Hudgens. I'm afraid so. That's the problem. Uh, it also it also really kind here. of it, it pokes a hole in my whole uh, Ron Funches Vanessa Hudgens fan fiction that I was working on. But um, <laughs> you mean uh, Fudgens? Is, <laughs> is that his? Is that the Hollywood name for the two of them? Rule 627, Fudgens. Fudgens. I like him, and I, I have to imagine that if the executives are going over the numbers, they're like, well, uh, this is feeling... Someone was over earlier today, and he was saying, it was just way too brown a show for them. That's what he, he said. Only non-white guy in this? Well, Vanessa Hudgens has something going on. I don't oh, know what true. her background yeah. is. And then and then uh, Pootie, obviously. 
So yeah, but he's really white in this. Well, yes, but so he was so the so guy I was talking to earlier today was like he's way it's way too brown. We got to make some cuts. Let's make deep cuts, deep dark cuts. Oh cut, God, that's which, terrible. Which is right, you know, because it's scary to have a black guy on TV still. And it's uh, so and, charming. And, I, and it made me laugh because I was imagining that some other executive would come along and be like, "Well, uh, we're gonna put, uh, you know." Uh, now I ever forget his name. Yep. Uh. Don't punch BB-8. It's not his fault. <laughs> uh, I blanked on it. There's another. There's another comedian who has a, a similar sort of delivery, and I was imagining him him being inserted directly into this role, thinking they solved their problem, <laughs> and it's the exact same thing. But in typical fashion, I can't remember the name of anybody or who they were. Or what. Good job, Tom. Go on, I'll remember it as soon as you start. See, yeah, this is why I like to research things before we talk about them. <laughs> <laughs> Nonsense. So, I'll find it right now. Thinking I of the up. seven minutes you saw, what's your red tentacle on this review, Tom? <laughs> so, I couldn't possibly have one. It could no. have been the cutting commercial break. No, uh, you know what? Actually, that's the one part of this show that made me think, oh, maybe this will be interesting, is when they first started talking about the Joker antidote, and they cut to what felt like a commercial at first, where the guy's uh, laughing, and then he uses the EpiPen, and he stops laughing, and it cures the Joker gas. Yes, I remember I that. Like, oh, I wonder if this will have like fun commercials. And then they never did it again. Yeah, they that's didn't my, even run, they, they didn't even run with it long enough for it to be a thing. Yeah, that's my wilted red tentacle on this. <laughs> wilted, it's like a wilted red tentacle. Yeah, it's like a it's one of those superfluous tentacles, the vestigial tentacle in the case of this. But <laughs> why wouldn't they have just? Why couldn't that be a consistent? You know, like a consistent thread in that show. Maybe it will be because we've only seen one episode. Maybe they will do that. It's possible. They are getting rid of the black guy, so... (laughs) (laughs) Anything is possible, Tom. (laughs) So I thought, oh, I will go and just look up the Amy Schumer show so I can find this guy's name... And she has 5,000 people. I don't like Amy Schumer. I feel like we're supposed to like her. Right? Yeah. But at the same time, I'm kind of like, well, sometimes I feel like she's trying too hard. I do, too. I I feel like she's kind of the Chris Farley of comedians in a lot of ways. Where, like, she's got some talent, but she throws too much of her overacting into things. And it's more of like a, I need you to like me so bad kind of thing. Yeah, I agree. Trying to be shocking, but then it's, like, not that shocking. Because yeah. She's shocking. Was there anyone else in this cast, in this show, that you recognize from other things? Were you like them more in those other things? Weren't there than only like five people in this, really? Did you recognize any, like the, the secretary or anybody else? I mean, were they no. anyone you'd seen before? Not that I'm aware of, no. Like, well, I, I have no idea. The, the, the person that plays the superhero in it looks vaguely familiar. But I think she's a stunt girl from some like like she does stunts exclusively kind of thing. You're talking about this the red fox or whatever yeah. she's called. Yeah, foxy red. <laughs> oh, I'm so close to the name of this guy. He was like, it's not Burwell, but it's uh, 
Oh, his his stand up comedy is really like slow and kind of stoner slow. But Titus Burwell does that sound right? Titus, Titus Burwell's Burwell? like a redheaded nutbag guy. It's not what I'm thinking of. That's not who I want. Christopher Titus is that who you're talking about? No, not no, no, it's not at all that. <laughs> the movie Titus starring Anthony Hopkins could it be that? Uh, well, could be that. So, all right. So, okay, I, I'm doomed. So, Hannibal Buress. Hannibal Buress. That's who I'm talking about. I have no idea who that is. That was a lot of wasted effort. Someone in our 333 listener pool will understand what I mean when I say that they would pull Funches out and put Hannibal Buress in and think that they've solved it, but they've got the exact same demographic problem that they started with. You mean he's black also? <laughs> and a comedian, and he has a similar sort of, you know, I'm not quite with you, you know, I'm kind of laughing at this whole experience while I'm doing the acting. I don't think but, I know him from anything. I don't, he was in, um, so he played a cop in something. I remember he was like, maybe it was super bad or something. He, there was something where he, he was a, I'm going to tell you right now, because I'm going to use the internet to tell you. Um, I will. He, he, he was in something where he was playing a, a someone with an authority figure, which was funny because, oh, he'll be in Spider-Man. Um, he was in The Nice Guys, but I don't remember him in it at all. I don't either. That's weird. Yeah. He was in Neighbors. And I, oh, maybe he was the cop in Neighbors. Hmm. I haven't seen that. See. Neighbors? Yeah, I've heard it's you funny. Haven't, you haven't seen Neighbors? I have not. He, he His character's name is Officer Watkins, so it's That's possible it. he played an officer in it. That's exactly what I'm thinking about. <laughs> and and uh, Neighbors 2 didn't work, but Neighbors 1, you should watch it. He's also in an animated series called The Begun of Tigtone. Pardon? The Begun of Tigtone. That's and a thing that's happened. He what plays a character called Seed Steed. <laughs> it's happening right now. This whole thing just went off the rails so far. As soon as I couldn't remember the name, the begun of Tigtone, Seed Steed. Seed Steed. What has even happening here? It is in Bob's Burgers. Seed Steed. That's all that matters to me now. Except right, so there's was... another guy on that that plays somebody named B. Fankel the Blacksmith as well. <laughs> B. Fankel. That's a sweet name. Yes, it is. All right, well, so if I had to pick a red tentacle for what I saw, <laughs> it would probably be when she enters the the firm and she goes to the doors and she marches along and you get a nice view of her in her, her aesthetically sweet. pleasing retro outfit. Yeah. Um, kind of ru- ruined by the clunky heels but you know in general just she has a sort of sassy little I'm marching in there and I'm going to take charge and I had hope and optimism that this was going to be a show where she was going to be Chilling increasingly front- no she was going to be increasingly I set it up that way but no the delivery is that she was going to be increasingly frustrated with uh, these people that she's working with and their incompetence and that was going to be the humor that ah. she was the straight, she was the straight one, and everyone else was going to be crazy. Uh, and uh, but anyway, it didn't happen that way. No, so, it didn't. so they filmed ten episodes. It's possible it's going to get better, right? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> will we know? Will we watch to find out? Are you going to watch another? episode? I will watch at least one more episode just so we can talk for another hour and a half about it. <laughs> <laughs> no. All right. Well, okay. So that's powerless. It was painful. It was. It was not painless, nor it was, powerful. 
it was less painful for you, for me than for you because I slept through 14 minutes of it. That's probably it. true. I ate fried chicken <laughs> while I watched it, so I at least enjoyed the chicken. <laughs> I like the idea of a review where you remember what you ate. That's not. Is that a good thing or a bad? Thing? I, at at this point, I'm just happy to remember something pleasant about it. That's true. <laughs> All right. Well, we, we'll 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 have optimism that's going to improve, but right yeah. now it's a dog. It's just a total dog. So let's uh, let's take a break and be back with something else after right, this. Let's do that. Okay. This episode is brought to you by Third Rail Design Lab, featuring art books, collectible eleven by seventeen art prints, and commission art available at www.thirdraildesignlab.com and at a convention near you. Do you love art books? Do you love beautiful illustrations of cool characters done in that third rail style? Do you have a hankering for a custom commission art made to your specification? All of these things? Then Third Rail Design Lab is your new favorite sweet, sweet site. Go there today. Buy them all. Okay, we're back. With the shipyard. The shipyard. Hey, I have a question. Did you like the Crimson Fox in Powerless? I don't think that she was really in it enough to like or dislike, honestly. Well, good news. She's in five episodes. <laughs> so they can name drop all the superheroes they want in that show, but they can't actually have any of them appear? Is that what the, the case is here? I just totally remembered. I know we're on the shipyards now, but I just remembered how offended I was at Jack-O-Lantern. Yeah, Jack-O-Lantern like, was terrible. I was like, you have, you have, I don't know, you have all those, like, rotting copies of, of the DC Who's Who... And all the idiots that they've designed over the years, sorry, that they could have used in this, and they had to go and rip off the Green Goblin. Yeah, it's or the so hob, weird. Really, the Hobgoblin. And and that was what really sucked, was he was going like, you know, <laughs> you know, he had this really 40s, uh, you know, melodramatic radio show voice, mm-hmm. and it made no sense whatsoever. Although I did, I want to revise my Red Tentacle in the shipyards. I want to revise it. My Red Tentacle is when... He is doing his broadcast, and everyone's like bored, and they're turning off their monitors or whatever because they're they're That's so. That's true. Over... That was pretty funny. Yeah, they're so over these kinds of uh, you know earth-shattering threats that they just you know, pause and then they moved on. That's okay, right, ship. everyone. We took a break, and when we got back, we were still talking about the same thing. <laughs> I, not at all. This is totally unrelated. So that so so we're gonna do what what's what's what are we gonna talk about right now? <laughs> Just one moment. <laughs> so we're back again now. <laughs> All right. What are we going to talk about? Are we going to review Powerless? No, I think we're. I think we're done with that until next week, yeah, when the next episode is on. <laughs> we can get a fair amount of mileage off of stuff we don't like, and yeah, we can we also can. get a fair amount of mileage on stuff we do like, or stuff that we're ambivalent about. <laughs> fair to Midland. Hey, right. Uh, this is what our listeners at Robot Kraken, uh, they count on this. They rely on us for having an opinion and the ability to consume airtime on anything. It might stink. We don't know. <laughs> so what are we going to talk about next? What's next, boss? Well, the shipyard is where we talk about art technique, things we're drawing or yes. creating. We're building things. Yes. And I thought this week or this month... It would be kind of fun for the shipyard segment to talk about how our technique for drawing comics has changed with the advent of 
both digital and particularly once Wacom came along and like the Cintiq and that kind of thing. Oh, yes. And so I wanted to ask you, back in the day, back in the 1940s when you first started drawing comics. Is it time for my mash? (laughs) What was your technique? What did you do? I started drawing superhero stuff when I was three and three or so. And I remember I was doing chalk on the on the brick porch but once i started drawing in in like art pads and stuff uh the the best thing you could possibly do for me you know the most exciting thing that could happen is my mom taking me to thrifties and getting the super large pen set colored pens you know, okay. 50, and six, 50 and 60 color pen sets and i remember that the pentels were like the pro grade in your mind you know like that was right. like you could never I could never afford that, so I got the generic version. <laughs> it, it, later on, I got the Pentels, and I was like, well... But the the, the generic version, whatever, just 60, 64 pens or whatever it was. Right. But to me, that was it. It was pencil. I would pencil it. I would ink it with pilots or something, you know, at the time. And then I would color right over that with the pens, and that ink... The, the ink lines of the pilot pen or whatever it was did not... It wasn't, it wasn't a permanent ink, so it would start to... I had to be really careful about how close I got to it with the color or else it would start to pull the black in. Okay. But it was all about that process of coloring the stuff that I had inked, which I had drawn. Okay. And it's the same enjoyment I have today with different tools. So when you were doing it back then, were you just doing on like uh, like typing paper, copy paper yeah. type stuff? Yeah, I was. And then when I was really starting to do, when I was starting to role play, I built uh, character sheets for Marvel Superheroes role-playing game which is the predecessor, of course, to the house rules for the Third Rail Design Lab. Right. Uh, TRDL Sourcebooks, which you can <clears throat> buy soon at uh, thirdraildesignlab.com and at a convention near you. Okay, so I made character sheets. Uh, and, you know, it'd have all the lines and stuff and all the little slots where you would put in the stats and it would have the little box. And I would just sit there and I would bang out the drawings on those things over and over and over again and make all those characters. And then I would also make... I remember when I was starting to draw comics, I would draw the the borders of the panels first. Okay. For efficiency, you see. Right, absolutely. I would draw them first, and then my mom would take it to work and photocopy it. Nice. Uh, and then and then I would have a stack of it. And so, of course, I whatever of that that still exists, I look at it, and it's the same panel structure across every page. That's and awesome. And, of course, it wasn't – this is before McLeod, right? This is right. not – I had no sense of what I was doing, so it's – some bullshit of a big panel and some couple of tiny panels and some weird ex- stretched out one. You know what I mean? Like really awkward panel structure times 50. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. It's not like, you know, just like uniform panels, which would have been something that I could work with. Right. But uh, yeah, definitely typing paper. That's and awesome. also like artifacts on the photocopier, right? Like, Oh yeah. Someone's fingernail or something. So it's always being replicated on the, <laughs> what about you? Uh, when I first started drawing, like, I didn't really get into comics, per se, until, like, like on the last episode, we talked about how I, like, didn't really get into comics until the Jim Lee era, but uh. I did used to collect uh, Fishman, as I called him as a kid, because oh. I loved Aquaman. Oh, okay. And so I had a lot of, like, old Aquaman comics, and so I'd draw them, but I would, I, like, to me, in my head... Drawing comics wasn't something I could ever really do. That wasn't ever an aspect for me until the, what was that, the 90s when I really started reading comics. And so for me, like, by that point, like, 
it was kind of established what the procedure was and how you should be doing it. Right. Um, but I started out by draw uh, like I bought like all those uh, Hogarth books of the dynamic anatomy and well, you were doing it right. And yeah, I'm like like I was really into. Bart Sears and those guys that drew as if people weren't wearing clothes. They just looked like the dynamic anatomy size. Uh And so, like, I started out drawing on, like, my mom was a teacher and she used to bring me home. uh, God, what what were those machines called with the blue, uh, like the mimeograph machines where they'd run Uh, off the tests? Yeah, well, I mean, hmm, that's interesting. In, in, from that small format, I'm not really sure. In, in large format for architecture, it was Diazo machines and then Blue Line and Blueprint. Diazo yeah, no, with Blue like, Line. Like, you remember back when you do, like, worksheets in school, and they wouldn't yeah. be printed in black. They'd be, like, that off-navy blue color. Yeah, that's a and Blue it, Line. That's a Diazo. It's based on ammonia. Right? Yeah, it's yeah. They've brush. got um, – they used to do that in the schools a lot. And a lot of the times she'd get, like, 17 pages that would come out, like, off-kilter on it. Yes. And so she'd bring those home for me to draw on. So everything I have has, like, kindergarten, first grade worksheets on the backside of it. Oh, wow. And, like, we were about as lo-fi as we'd get. Like, we would get the markers that started to run out of color at the school. She'd bring them home, and so, like, all of mine would be like, i got to color this 74 times to fill it in because the markers are dying. Oh, it's the worst. And so finally, like, God, it must have been high school before I was finally like, you know what? I'm going to buy all the stuff people are supposed to have for drawing comic books. And so, like, I went out and I bought, like, a lead holder and the, the thick lead and a needed rubber eraser that I didn't understand how it worked. <laughs> and, like, I bought a, a sheet of, of like, the, the comic book, the Blue Line comic book boards that that come in the package of, like, ten from ProLine or whoever it was that used to do them. And, oh, like, wow. I'm like, I'm going to be a real comic artist. And then I'm like, I don't know how to draw fucking comics. <laughs> But it's interesting, though, that at a young age, you were buying Hogarth and stuff, which I didn't. I honestly didn't get good drawing reference books until I was in college, maybe. And like the how to draw comics the Marvel way was like my only resource when I was a kid. Oh, nice. Um, I never actually had that, amusingly. Um, Well, and it wasn't like I picked up Hogarth in God. It had to have been like the late 80s, early 90s. And I was living next door to, or I wasn't living next door, but my cousins lived next door to a professional illustrator. Um, He did primarily uh, paintings of sports figures for, like, trading cards and that kind of thing. All right. And they had a yard sale, and he had a whole box of, like, the Hogarth stuff. And so that's where I first saw it, and I was like, oh, I want to draw. I should get these and learn from this. And so I learned, like, like the basics of how to draw, but I didn't learn how to draw comics from it per se. Oh yeah. Well, that's really impressive though, because he was starting out right. And you know, I still could use, (laughs) I could, I still could use that sort of influence. I mean, that's fantastic. Well, it was funny for me too, because like when I like finally decided I wanted to do comics and I bought that blue line board and I started to draw, I had no foundation in like, how panels were laid out, or why they were laid out the way they were, or how to compose a panel. Like, I could draw somebody with 
fairly decent uh, anatomy, that kind of thing. Right. But I couldn't tell you how he should be in the panel or anything like that. Did you... Um, that's interesting that you say that you bought those Line kits and all that, because I never, ever bought those kids even when i i mean i i mean i was a big became aware of them rather late maybe mm-hmm. but i never um yeah like i never had those i i worked on bristol for a while mm-hmm. and i still work on bristol in smaller format now but i got big pages of it to do uh the early early chapters affinity on that but you know all the way through until you know early college when i switched over to uh bristol pads mm-hmm. i was using typing paper right copy paper something you know not various grades of that never had those cool boards yeah they make you feel legit right well it was it was a definite like splurge for me like i was like okay i'm gonna use all my newspaper money this week and buy this one package of boards and it if it made me feel legit at first because i sat down with like my my like everybody told me they're like okay you need good inking pins so i saved up for forever to get a rapidograph Oh, interesting. And realized that it doesn't have a lot of flexibility in terms of inking. And oh, God, still no. still how I ink now because I was so used you to don't. learning it that way. You where, don't. Like, like I would draw the outline and then I'd fill it in. And it was just like the most frustrating thing in the world. I never tried using a brush or anything. Wait, you use Rapidograph? I used no. to. I don't now. Because those are designed to be straight 90 degree to the page. Right. Yeah, oh, my terrible. Word. They, that's that's how I first started doing like like my comic art that I thought I was doing, and so that's where like I hit this humbling experience where I sat down with this rapidograph and these blue line boards, and I'm like, that I fucking suck. <laughs> that's so funny. I, my dad was a graphic artist, and I remember um, I would pop his little art bin mm-hmm. carrying case open, and I would look at all his tools, and I would try to draw with his rapidographs, and I'd fuck them up, and then. <laughs> Uh, and then, uh, hold on a second. Ow. And then I would put them all back. You know? Right. And I remember him saying, like, did you jam up all my, the one time he actually accused me of clotting up all of his pens, I didn't do it. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's hilarious. So it was kind of tough nut because like I had to, uh, you know, I had to say, no, I didn't this time. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but yeah, there's no way I, I, I have a lazy uh, hand position. I cannot draw straight up and down no. like that. I, I'm and at weird angles. The learning curve on it was just insane. So I finally, like, I picked up a couple of felt tip, like, I don't know, like, ballpoint Bix or, like, felt tip Bix or something like that. Yeah. And I remembered, like, with those, I was like, oh, this is cool because I can get it thicker if I slant it and that kind of thing. And so for a long time, that's what I was inking with was just, like, these, like, super cheap felt tip pens that people were selling for just like for writing (laughs) oh wow yeah i mean so today i still use so okay so thinking about what you evolved what is i would love to know what is your kit today that you bring with you or that you're using most often when you're doing your art oh so right now it's actually like almost within reach come here you get over here i just spilled it you hear that on the Okay, so let's see what I've got in this this tub here. I have a 9.9 millimeter Pentel uh, lead holder. Okay. And that's kind of a thicker lead, and it's a really soft lead. I use it, I think it's like a 1 
or something okay. like that. And I use it just exclusively for sketching out ideas when I'm first doing things. Interesting. Okay. Then I have a no name. Oh, it's another Pentel, but it's like a side click mechanical pencil with blue lead in it. And typically, all that's what I'll use when I'm. <laughs> I'm still so process-driven, it's obscene. Like, I use a handmade, a homemade light table yes. that is made out of wood, zip ties, and some LED lights that I stole from a lighting fixture at work when I was working for Walgreens. Right. And I will take a piece of typing paper, yep. sketch it out with my soft pencil, put that on the light table, put another typing paper over the top of that, and refine those lines with a blue line pencil. Okay. Then I'll take my other Pentel pencil here that's just got 0.5 lead in it, and I'll refine over the blue line a little bit. Then I'll lay down another piece of paper and use my regular pencil again and refine those lines. Then theoretically, at that point, I'll put the bristol down and light box uh, and lightly pencil the bristol. Wow. And so then flash forward to any time that I've said, hey, are you going to draw a picture for this week's TRTL Jam? <laughs> and you just sort of fall into a ball, you're laughing and you're crying. I fully understand that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where, like, that's where my process comes from. And that's something that I'm definitely working on refining. But, like, the thing I did today, I have literally four sheets of typing paper sitting in front of me here with an alien drawn on it with vague definitions of detail put in. So why do you use those multiple layers that you're then tracing over each one over and over again rather than just use like some really light blue line or some like sort of rough that you do and then just keep penciling over that, penciling over that, and then ink right onto that? How come you have multiple physical sheets? I'm sure that it comes, well, okay, it comes from two different things. Number one, after I sat down with that Bristol board when I was a kid and was like, okay, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to be an artist. I'm right. never going to be an artist. I like threw the thing across the room and was like, screw it. I'm not even going to read comics anymore. Wow, that was very severe of you. And I was talking to my buddy and he's like, dude, there's other jobs you can do as an artist. Right. Are you forging checks or something? Back <laughs> here? My I was really hoping that somehow your enthusiasm would keep keep you from recognizing what was happening. My wife asked me to print something before I came in, and I was like out of default because when here's the success, key to success in marriage, as you know, is when you were told to do something, do it right away. I was like, "Oh, you're right, sir. Command P." I'm like, "Oh no!" And then I had to calibrate the printer before. It's so loud. I'm so sorry. It sounds and like now it's, it's done. Like, it's printed, and it's still calibrating. It sounds like you're working as a notary or something, and you've got those giant machines you're chunking down as uh, I'm talking. Well, uh, one of my favorite movies, "To Live and Die in L.A." You can just pretend that I'm uh, Willem Dafoe preparing my boards for my counterfeit twenties. See, at first, when it, you first started doing it, I thought you were pulling out your kit and oh. thumping pens down loudly <laughs> next to the speaker. Hey, you had a you had a few thumpity thump thumps too. So anyway, you were saying so. Are, so you're you were you were thinking that maybe you would go into production art or something? Well, is that what that was about? Uh, basically, what I was I did was I was like I went back to the comic shop at the time. I was on comics, and Bob, yeah. one of the owners there, was like, "So how'd that how'd that blue line work out for you?" And I was like, "I suck. I'm never going to be an artist. I don't even want to try anymore." 
And he was like, well, he hadn't seen any of my stuff or anything. It's not good anyway. But he was like, well, there's other things you can do with comics if you want to work in comics. You could write comics or ink them or color them. And I was like, I can't color them. All I have is a pencil. <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> and he's like well, right, why son. don't you be an inker? And I was like, I don't know how to ink. And so he kind of like actually sat down with me and showed me a few like the how to draw comics the Marvel way and that kind of thing where it shows like the pencils and the inks and that became really fascinating to me. The process of the a second artist taking that art and inking over the top of it and making it something else. Well that I and I and I totally get that and granted again I came from a production art family so I watched you know things like light box work and and my dad was doing something that is now a total anachronism in today's uh, production, which is paste up, right? Mm-hmm. Physically cutting and pasting out. It's, it's just a step off of letterpress, right? Right, yeah. Um, you know, I've watched a lot of that process in the light, in the light table and everything. But but in my own personal process, I have to say, I will do the, the pencil, I will do the rough and then the final pencils. Sometimes I would then move to another sheet for inks, mm-hmm. but... But you described multiple layers just to get to the point where you were confident enough to start yes. doing a tight pencil before you even ink. And part of that is that my my initial pencils are still like obscenely loose, like they're just stick figures. Uh, but I all came from that conversation with him, honestly. Like, like I asked him, "Well, how do people ink? I don't understand this." And he showed me it, and to me, in my head, I was like, "I can, I can figure this out. I can, I can." practice and replicate this i can't practice drawing somebody else's drawing but i can practice inking someone else's inking and so what i did was i bought a bunch of comics from the dollar bin there and i would take them and put them up on the window on a sunny day and tape them up with a piece of typing paper over the top of it and i would practice inking over a comic page that i'd torn from these 25 cent comics oh this is amazing i've heard this story from professionals so many times and I never did this and if I had done this I would be better like super ghetto inked on a window on a sunny day in the front room I would be inking like west coast avengers or some shit like that oh yeah like it would be one of those things where I'd start drawing it and I'd be like oh shit I just inked (laughs) the hand that was on the other side of the page because I have both sides up on this so I was like, yes. I've got to get better at this. So what I did was I started going point. in, and I would photocopy the page. And so I'd have yeah. the photocopy of the comic page. And then I one day at a yard sale, I was we used to go yard selling all the time just because it was fun to look at other people's crap. Yeah, right. And I stumbled across an old medical uh, x-ray viewer. Oh, interesting. That plugged in, that lit up so that you could see the x-ray through it. And I used that as a light table for over a decade. Why was that at a garage sale? It was a a doctor who (laughs) had a home office there. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. I I mean, this is rural Idaho. So the doctor probably made home calls. thinking someone's going to buy it. And I paid like five bucks for it. And for years, that's where I would ink and re-ink. And, like, I would take, like, an Alan Davis page and try and ink it with a different style than what uh, Neary inked it. That kind of thing. And so for the longest time, I thought I would be an inker. And then I realized 
finding penciled pages, especially in the pre-internet era, was really fucking hard. And so I just started, like, saying, okay, I guess I'm going to have to draw my own stuff first. But I was so used to using the light table as my process for refining things and changing the way I inked things, that's just still how I do it. Oh. (laughs) That's really interesting. I mean, so... Okay, so I'm kind of contrasting that with what I did. I mean, I if if I had a if I had a fault, it was that I would draw. Well, my first fault is that I was completely backwards. You studied how to do it to mm-hmm. teach yourself how to do it. I just did it and then slowly had to come to conclusions that maybe I was not doing it well enough. <laughs> I've never been a, a good enough editor of my own. You know, like I just enjoy it, so I don't criticize. And then right. every once in a while, I would pick up a technique of of objective criticism and i'd be like horrified for example i remember at some point in junior high someone pointed out the 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 thing that you um you turn your page up you turn your page around right show it up in the light and if everything gets all screwy then you had confirmation bias on your on your drawing and you didn't have your proportions right right well to to this day i use that and i'm like oh <laughs> you know it's that's that's very challenging, right? Oh yeah. So yeah, but so I would just if I you know if I had a problem if anything it was that I would not rough. Okay. So going going back to being very young, I would just immediately start drawing, and I would draw and I would like start with something. Usually it was the head, the torso, and the arms, which is something I do today. But every once in a while it would be backwards. It would be like I'm going to draw the hand first and work my way up, whatever. But I would go straight into the thing. I would be drawing and then erasing and drawing and erasing instead of roughing it first. And what was interesting to me is I still I just I just gushed over how to draw comics the Marvel way. Mm-hmm. Gave me a great appreciation for the classics, the classic artists that my generation wouldn't actually see in print unless they went to the back issue bins. Right. right. I, but it, and yet I would look at those met, the methodologies in that book and I would try it once and be like eh like you make blocks or you make you right. Know, you know, like tubes, you know, cylindrical prisms and all that. And like, no, yeah, nonsense. That's, that's still how I draw. <laughs> yeah, I, I, like I could never make it work. And what I found, of, it took me years to train myself to rough in a way that made it useful. That I could actually rough it and rough it in 3D and then and then draw it down into into 2D, right? Right. But but at the time, it just I wasn't having it, and so it's weird that I went backwards. Right. That is. I went. Yeah. I went. I went backwards to get better. I guess. Right. Um, but I was using pencil. I, you know, I've always liked using number two pencils. Right. Mm-hmm. I like. I like a nice. I like that nice middle grade graphite. I like the feel of it. Um, I have to. Ta- I've taught myself over the years not to draw hard. Particularly, I mean, there've been times when I would get really, like in high school, I would get really into doing darker let you know like shades and stuff right. I mean, you're doing you're coloring with pencil and then i would go and try to ink that later on and it's, and it's a disaster oh right? yeah yeah but and i taught you, myself you to know, draw like that might be part of where mine came from too is that a lot of the times when i was drawing i was drawing with like a ballpoint pen or those yeah. leftover markers i got from my mom's school mm-hmm. and so it wasn't really possible to erase it right and so drawing in the layers was something that was actually a feasible possibility for me. The first time I remember, so I would always pencil mm-hmm. ink and color on the physical thing. And uh, I learned the hard way that I had to draw light because, and that's why it surprised me when you were saying that you work with mechanical pencils, because the first thing I had to remind myself to do was dim- ditch those because they were scoring the paper. Right. 
And the same thing with once I got into art, when I took a few art classes and I, and I was faced with artist pencils with the different grades of hardness, right. I was really frustrated with the harder pencils because they were scoring the paper. And, I, and then I would want to go to the soft pencils like an HB and mm-hmm. go further. And then they would get all mushy, right? <laughs> You're like, I just, frankly, I just want my old number two. You know, can I just yeah, have my I old Yeah, I really need pencil? to get into that again. Like, I used to draw with regular pencils instead of the mechanical. And then, like, I saw one artist that drew with the mechanical pencil. And I'm like, oh, I need to get those. Because look how sharp the line is all the time kind of thing. Oh, totally. Totally. And I just never really went back. But and I can't I, rough with a mechanical pencil at all. Yeah, like, the lead holder I have is... Like it's thick. It's it's thicker than a number two pencil lead is, and so I sharpen it with my box knife when I'm drawing. Oh wow! So it's definitely. Yeah, I know. I know the one you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. In architecture school, I had I had lead holders for various lead weights, three, five, and seven millimeter, and then also the the big the big graphite lead holder that you're describing. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's just it feels like a finishing tool to me. So I had to teach myself, I had to teach myself not to push hard on the paper and I had to teach myself to get soft and, 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 uh, and, 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 and be very gestural. That was the biggest thing. Maybe, maybe a little booze, maybe a little pharmaceutical help with that. Like I taught myself to loosen up maybe. I need to figure Um, that out. I need to learn how to do that. Well, the, 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 the thing that's challenging is you have to force yourself out of the brain of this has to be a finished product that has to be perfect. And you have to right. force yourself to do this can be a sketch that I may do something with, or I may not. And if there's anything that gets you there, it's, you know, four or five whiskey drinks. Right. <laughs> and then you're like, right. well, I'm just, and, and I've had great experiences with both with uh, alcohol and other pharmaceuticals where I will spend the evening doing roughs. Right. Mm-hmm. I'll do seven or eight roughs over four, four cocktails or something. And then I'll go to bed. And then, and then later on, when I'm when I'm totally sober, I'll look at those roughs and I'll figure out a way to to finish them up and make them useful. Right and on. some of my favorite compositions were that because I started so loose, right? Right. But uh, anyway, the, the first time I tried to do light table work like you're describing is honestly, it's when I outside of architecture, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, is when I started working on Finity. And which is the comic that I did for for on and off for a few years, and it's it's on hold now. But when I started, I was doing I was trying to do it as traditional as possible. I was using eleven, I was using big, uh, you know, full, large format Bristol. Right. I bought I bought a commercial light table off of someone on eBay or Craigslist <laughs> and brought it to my house. So it's the full on, it's you know five hundred pounds. You know what I'm talking yeah, about yeah. It's giant giant thing I have for years. <laughs> kind of wish I still had it to be honest with you. Yeah. And. And I would, uh, and I would, and I would, I would draw all the components to a panel, mm-hmm. and then I would overlay them with with on, on the light table to build the composite that would end up being the that finished panel. That's awesome. And it took a long time, and it was okay. And you know, it, it, what it did leave me with is finished pages that are fun to look at. Right. But I eventually, my comfort level with digital was taking over at that point and at a certain point I just finally said you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna start doing more and more it, it can't be precious I gotta just I gotta I gotta just be you've seen my production stuff oh you've yeah. seen how I have three hands and there's like a, a ink mess up and I just don't care I keep going and I'm gonna fix it in post right mm-hmm. well at some point I decided that's what I was gonna do on the sequential art and then I and I moved to drawing each of the components of 
a single panel, foreground, midground, and background. I would draw them as separate drawings. Kind of animation over- style almost. Yep, I w- absolutely. I would overlay them in Photoshop and then and then composite. And the biggest problem I have with some of that existing sequential art that I have in the can is you can see that I struggled with where I decided to shrink stuff. Mm-hmm. And then the line got smaller. Right. And I didn't go back and, and, and fastidiously re-ink with thicker line weights to try to catch up because it at a scale it was coming down at a scale where it didn't really make sense to do that right so i learned from that that you have to figure out those compositional choices before you do the final inks that makes sense whereas i was i was pushing inks around right right? you need to push the pencils around and then when you're (laughs) satisfied then you ink all at once right right anyway but uh so so thinking about your eventual all those techniques and then you move on to slowly starting to touch the digital world how was that for you how did you get into it and what to geez the digital stuff came late for me like like i think i had my first okay so i took photoshop there was a, a computer art class in high school yeah and that was the first time i'd ever used photoshop and that was one of those things where we were working on like crappy old Macs and you had the mouse and yes. you would, oh, Photoshop with a mouse, man. <laughs> oh, God, I remember like our first project was to take an image from a magazine and crop the figure out and move it over to a blank screen. And I remember like finally I changed the figure I wanted to do because the figure I chose was obviously a sexy girl with big hair and everything else. And I'm like, I can't, I can't, I can't lasso all this hair. So I picked a naked guy with a bald (laughs) head. And I was like, okay, this is easy. That's funny. (laughs) And for the longest time, like, I didn't have Photoshop myself. I remember graduating high school, and I don't think I got Photoshop until... God, I had to have been 22, 23. And at the time, it was like... Like a school edition Photoshop, I don't know, like Photoshop 3 or 4 or something like that. It was a generation or two behind. And I got one of those small Wacom pads. I don't remember what they were called. Not the bamboo, but something right along that line where they had like the plastic shield over the front that you could put an image underneath. Yeah, that's before the Graphire. That's just when it was the Wacom. Yeah, yeah. WZ34 or something like that. Yeah, something like that, yeah. I remember that screen, that little sheet. And that's that's what I had for a long time, actually. Um, and I primarily use the digital stuff just for coloring. Oh, uh, yeah. For a really oh, yeah, me long too. time. Me too. I started, dig this, okay? So I was just kind of trying to place it in my history. I think I started using computers for art in around 86. Wow. So that's two years. I just checked it. That's two years after Mac Paint was created. I was eight. So (laughs) I I was, so I should be doing, I should be like Joe Mad, right? Everything should be a gradient for me. No, so, yeah, so like, because I I had a, I had a a Commodore 64 and, and then from there I got a, uh, what was it? I got a uh, was it, what, what was it? The Amiga. I got an Amiga, okay. and that had some sort of rudimentary paint program on it. And then I got the I got my first Mac, which had Mac Paint, mm, and I nice. used Mac Paint. And I still have 
an example. I will find it and we will scan it in and we will show it. Hell yeah! In our in our reference material for this because it is a picture of a character which is obviously very. It's a cipher of a Dune and Newt from oh, nice. Appleseed because I was heavily influenced by uh, manga at the time, and still am really. And but anyway, you'll see it's it's hilarious. And I actually have a number all the way through junior high and high school. I have a number of computer generated characters and character pages because it didn't it wasn't just the art that I was doing. I was using the computer for all the actually more rational stuff. I was like making character sheets in oh yeah hi, in hypertext on the Mac, you know. <laughs> and then eventually I got I got a hold of uh, of uh, PageMaker. And my dad nice. was using Cork Express for work, and I was using PageMaker. We were screwing around, but it was all about how to make those more efficient and look more professional, right? And so I have, I still have character sheets where it's all this heavily pixelated imagery and stuff on there. You know, <laughs> that's amazing. Everything is everything is Max Chicago font or whatever it is. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I remember using Mac Paint, and of course, that's a mouse, right? Right. I didn't get to use a a, a tablet until. I mean, I had to have been in college or something when I got a tablet. I mean, it, it, it was way late, but it was a fantasy, right? It was always right. a fantasy for me. The fantasy was draw on the screen like you're using your pen, your colored pen. Right. And, and, and so the Wacom was a learning curve, but it was a way it was a it was a good push forward into that. Oh, I yeah, remember I, I had the same one you had. You have a power pack for it as well as the PS2 port, you know, the right. serial port or whatever that is. Yeah, and it was funny because, um, like, I I was thinking about that as you were saying that, and I think the first computer I ever had was until '95. Oh wow! And then it was like like a secondhand computer that my mom bought from a friend of hers, kind of thing. And so it wasn't. I don't think I actually had Photoshop for like for myself in my home until maybe 2001. Yeah, it would have to be at a point where there was enough pirated copies of it yeah. around. Get it. I went to college with an Amiga, and then I ended up getting a Mac LC3 or LC2, LC2 maybe, and then an LC3, and then I was in Macs from that point on. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, 95, 96, man, that's when I got my first email account. <laughs> University email account. Right? Nice. There was no internet. There was no internet. I made a web page. It right. just existed in... in 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 space, <laughs> <That's amazing. laughs> you know it's funny. You said that you took your Photoshop classes, and uh, I remember a big uh, argument with my dearly departed father at the time uh, that I started fiddling with Photoshop. He was outraged because it was a photo manipulation tool for him. Right. He was like, "What are you? That's not. You're not supposed that's to do that." That's not for I drawing. Was, right. And I was I was coloring with it, and actually for a long time, I have to tell you, Chris, for a long time that was not. I mean, there were other people like me doing it, but it wasn't like it was the industry standard practice no, to use no. Photoshop to color with. There just wasn't another. It just quickly became apparent once the the stylus, once the Wacom tablets became more commonplace, it quickly became apparent that Photoshop would allow you to do what you needed to do. Right. It wasn't designed for that. No, not right? at all. And some of the other tools like uh, like Painter, when that came out, I mean, they were all about recreating the physical, trying to simulate physical media. <laughs> Right. Designed like like it was gonna it's gonna appeal to fine artists, but it had nothing to do with this kind of thing, right? Right. So, um, and honestly, until something like Manga Studio came out, I, I can't think of anything that would pull people away from Photoshop at all. No. Now, so now you, so let me ask you this: so you became comfortable using Photoshop to color, mm-hmm. as I did, 
and you but you would still pencil you would still pencil and ink manually and then what how, what would you do would you scan it in the way we do today yeah yeah do you remember doing that uh there was <laughs> i didn't have a scanner but there was a scanner at the at the, the high school and then uh kinko's yeah that was i remember kinko's college um had a scanner and you could scan a page for like five cents or something like that and so I'd go down with my handful of drawings and scan them in for a nickel a piece, and they'd put them on a floppy, and I'd take them home and, or I think I had a zip drive or something like oh, yes. that. Oh yeah. And I'd put them on my zip disk and take them home and load them onto the computer and color them from there. Take it to your lawyer. Yeah. Put it on a zip disk. <laughs> I, I can't even tell you. My father and I both. I mean, that was our life for so many years. It was it was trading zip disks and then jazz disks. Nice. Back and forth. That's really funny. I remember when scanners were really big, and you got a hold. It was very expensive if you got one, and it was very delicate because they didn't have the lock for the. And 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 at some point, it became the economies of scale changed, and it became scanners were disposable. Right. You couldn't even get it serviced, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, well, it is what it is. But early on, they were those really big. It reminds me of what Mustech still does with those really giant scanners. They weigh like all, 100 pounds. And... Yeah, they're all beige, you know. <laughs> right. And, and if you want a proper 11 by 17 scanner today, you still have to go to that those those scanners again. And yeah. they're 1500 bucks. You know? Yeah, unfortunately. I'd really like an 11 by 17 scanner. But mm-hmm. for now, I just do lots of pasting back together after I scan it. Well, and so that's interesting because when you think about how much we use Photoshop for all these purposes, right? And I use Photoshop and then I'll use Illustrator for uh, word balloons and borders and certain sort panel stuff. Right. So I'll, I'll finish a comic page in, in Illustrator, but it's primarily Photoshop. Um, I, I want to ask you this. Have you experimented with Manga Studio at all? I have it, and I have played with it a little bit in terms of inking. But that's right. all I've done with it. So I understand that it's got a very powerful uh, tool for normalizing lines, like brush strokes will be smoothed out. Which, when you think about, I, I know for me, with the Wacom, one of the biggest frustrations I had with digital inking that kept me out of it forever is jittery, the jittery line syndrome. Yeah. And I remember having so much frustration with that and complaining to Vlad dearly departed lad yeah, yeah. <laughs> about that and he would say i said how is it that you don't have any of these jittery lines and he said well i work at you know much close to 100 percent resolution i'm like how do you do that hmm. how do you make a long line when you're just like you do it and then you move the screen you do it again you move the screen how could you possibly do that That's without crazy. crazy so anyway oh. so i recently re- i was reminded that joao marquez who helps me with third rail design lab he he actually does a lot of work in Mega Studio now. Oh, interesting. He uses, it, he uses it on one of those, uh, one of those little pro tablets. I the don't MSPs. know what they are. Yeah, yeah, and uh, Surface Pro. That's right. Yeah. And uh, he sends me the files, and it and it comes as a dot clip file. I'm like, what is this? He's like, oh, I'm sorry, sorry, I got to change it. <laughs> so I have yet, I have it too, but I have yet to really. It, I found that the menu system and all of the tools fairly it's impenetrable. So annoying. Like I have it, and the reason I haven't used it much is because I've spent two hours rekeying all of the hotkeys to, <laughs> to what I'm used to with Photoshop, and yeah. I'm still not done enough that I can use it without it frustrating me. You know, that thing about um, obsessing over the, the pen sets and eventually getting a Pentel pen set and obsessing over that. 
one of the things that brings me back to that is so I've reached the point where my fantasy has become reality, right? I'm drawing. If I'm in the studio, I'm on a Cintiq. Right. Drawing right on the screen. And then uh, any other time, I'm on my iPad Pro with an Apple Pencil. And it's, right. it's, it, is, it is as close to the perfect world as young Tom could have ever imagined. Yeah. I would have lost my, I would just have lost my head if I knew <laughs> what, what I can do now. I can do it on an airplane. Right. You know, that said, when I'm messing around with my kids and I'll just use their pens and I'm kind of coloring with their pens and it becomes really challenging and interesting to try to do that. Right. Right. And then also, uh, um, as you saw back on, at, on the convention circuit last year, I started fiddling with Copics or Copics or Copics again. Copics. I think. Copics or maybe yeah. Copics. Something. Possibly Copics or maybe Copics. Markers. <laughs> I would start, I was fiddling with Copics and I told you at the time that my father, when he was doing industrial design stuff, he had those markers and he would, he had not the Copics, but he had the other ones. Right. And uh, I forget what that brand is. And, and and they didn't blend well. So he would have – his class was all about how, that style of how you layer the, the, you know, the thick edge pen, not the brush tip, but the, the sharp tip. The you know chisel I mean? tip, yeah. The chisel tip and how you would run the lines so that they barely touched. Right. And you get, you get the simulated blending from that accuracy, right? And then there was, and then there was that other style where you would, you would let it be. Like you would let it overlay, like oh, it was yeah. deliberately rough, right? You know that kind of thing. I loved them in concept at the time. I couldn't possibly deal with it. It's just my brain would not accept it. <laughs> and when I started using the Copics, you know, fiddling around with those gray ones with you, I was like, oh, these are great. And I went into the store to when I was going on a supply run before when I was making a wrong robot book, mm-hmm. and I looked at a wall of them with all the colors, and I was like, oh, part of me kind of wants all of these. Yeah. Which is four thousand dollars, maybe you know. <laughs> so I'm gonna step away, but uh, so I really do like when I get something in my hand that's real, that's tangible. But I have to say, uh, these digital tools that we have are so amazing compared to, I, and I'm still shocked when I talk to another artist who's like still they're on a mouse, and I'm like, oh my god, I just it makes me want to go. Can't even imagine, yeah. Actually, actually, I can tell you there are two instances in in the time that we had the 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 trdl forum and we had artists who are collaborating and coming on board and stuff and sharing art there are two times when i gifted a a wacom that i was upgrading to something else and i would send that to someone because i was outraged they were working on a mouse you're like like, what are you doing you gotta do it (laughs) i got a message from a guy that is a tattoo artist that was sharing a few drawings back in the day and uh i don't know if you remember a drawing with like a it was like an ape or a chimp that was like screaming, but it had like alien antenna on it, and then it had the third row. Uh, that's my cult- art, dude. No, <laughs> that's not you, is it? Yeah. All right, so I'm completely misremembering. There's another something, <laughs> something kind of like that. There's another artist, a tattoo artist, that did this work, and uh, he recently. I mean, there could be another one, but <laughs> that's so funny. No, I'm totally. I'm just crossing the wires, but um, some other thing that he did. Uh, he randomly Facebooked me or something and sent me a message saying, hey, I just w- want to tell you, you know, 10 years ago you gave me a Wacom and it completely changed how I do my art and it's fantastic. And anyway, I really appreciate it. You changed the course of how I do art. And I was stunned that he remembered even in the first place to write that note. Right. But it was super stoked because I, I, I imagine that. I imagine that, that that leap that you make when you get that tool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So anyway, so, okay, so here's the thing. 
this leads to my big question for you. I've asked you this like five times in the last year. <laughs> Tell me about brush pens because I have been increasingly interested. I used to love the consistency of my microns mm-hmm. and, and, and being able to layer the different line weights and I and I re-ink with a larger line weight and a larger line weight as I work to the outside and all this. Right. But I'm becoming com- confident enough. Don't screen cap me. I'm not screen capping you. I'm, I'm sending you a picture of a chimpanzee with antenna. Uh-oh. Did I lose you? <laughs> I'm, hey, I'm what here. happened, man? I can't hear you. You can't hear me? Are you having... Are you having uh, Idaho fat bits problems? I can hear you fine. I can, now I can hear you. So you are sending me a photo. There it is. That's the one that's totally the one I was remembering. <laughs> Monkey with the things. Hey, that's a great photo. I mean, that's a great picture, man. I really appreciate it. <laughs> I love it in every way. That's not the one I was. What if it was the one that the other guy was like taking credit for? That would be hilarious because there are much better things you could take credit for than that <laughs> picture. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I couldn't draw a chimp that well. So <laughs> anyway, so here's the deal. I'm getting to the point where I'm comfortable enough with being expressive in my inks. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to do th- kind of I'm forcing gradients physically with my hand, which doesn't work very well, but I'm doing it in my brush. Now that I'm using dig- all digital brushes, I'm actually allowing myself to have gradient in my my stroke and i'm curious tell me about your physical media and the brush pens you're using well see and that's like that's still kind of a learning curve for me too um because like i said i started using the rapidograph stuff i moved to the microns because they give you a little more flexibility you don't have to hold it directly 90 degrees to paint it um and so I still do a lot of my inking with just microns, and I've started using some Faber-Castell Pit artist pens as well, because I kind of like the nibs on them a little better. They're a little softer. Yeah. And so I picked, I've picked up a few brush pens. I have some from uh, Micron that I like okay, but the Micron brush pens are like... They're like a foam. They're not like a, an actual bristle. Oh, really? So they'll give that doesn't sound good. Some of the appearance of one. It's it's really similar to like a really really fine point Copic in terms of the brush on it. And when you first get it, they're really nice. Like you can do really refined lines. You can still do really sharp details. The problem is, is that foam has a tendency to start to wear out. I bet. And it starts to get kind of scruffy. And it gives you a lot, like, shittier line work on it. So I've, my uh, my buddy Devin, my co-host over on the other podcast, was like, dude, you need to get a Pentel pocket brush. Right. This brush is amazing. It has a traditional ink brush on the end of it. And mine's all gloppy right now because it sucks. Um, and it has refillable, reusable cartridges that you put on it for the ink. Huh. And it is really cool because it gives the most natural, like, actually using a brush line of anything I've found yet. I've heard there's a few others out there that are a little better. Um, I guess Jake Parker uses a couple of brush pens that are really, really nice, but they're also like 30 to to $100. Yeah, right. Whereas I think this one cost me like 16 bucks or something like that on Amazon. 
there's um there's a targeted ad that I get sometimes on either Instagram or something, and it's some it's some company that offers a sampler of brush pens that are imported from Japan. And every time I'm about to do it, I go and I look at them, and then I start breaking them down and looking at them individually, and I get really frustrated because I cannot tell the difference between them right. and why there are a couple of different um, gauges maybe, but I can't tell otherwise why you would have all these different ones. And it mm-hmm. maybe it just made me feel like I just need to go to the one of our last remaining good art stores here in the Bay Area and and just actually get a hold of some of these brush pens and test them out. Yeah, I would never have bought this pen if Devin hadn't had one and been like, dude, play with this. And I was like, oh my god, this is pretty amazing. And I think uh, one of the differences that I saw Jake Parker talking about, um, he's, I think you know who Jake Parker is, right? Come on now. You know who really knows who Jake Parker is? My mother. Oh, really? She sends me... Like forwards of his website or his book announcements all the time. My dear mother, she's so because she's been telling me for years that I should have uh, bots and bugaboos commodified yeah. the bots and bugaboos. And I'm like, listen, mom. And he and I bought I kickstarted I bought his first book on Kickstarter. Oh, okay, it's, it's fantastic. He has an enviable style that I'll never does. get close to, and a speed um, too. Like yes. he, he yes. draws like crazy fast. And one of the things that he has is um, he's he's got an Instagram that's just Jake Parker tools, and oh, he really? posts the different pens he uses and stuff. And um, he has at least a couple of brush pens, and the big distinctive difference in them is that they have different stiffness of the bristles. Oh, interesting. So that's uh, that's but again. I've got to try it to understand it. You know what I mean? Like I have right. to. Just... Yeah, that's my big thing, too, is I really want to be able to actually, like, try it out and practice with it and that kind of thing. So I'm going to go to, because also, okay, so related to that, um, my kids have gotten increasingly interested in, I'm following Jake Parker, too, now, by the way, thank you for that (laughs) excellent resource. My kids have gotten increasingly interested in using the tools that I use when we draw together. So I have to sacrifice some of my overstock of microns and I give them to them and I put a little sticker on it. So I know not to use it myself. Uh, nice. Cause the two things that uh, are currently affecting my, well, the three things that are affecting my inking quality right now are a, the ongoing problem of being tired and inking in low light and being so exhausted. So I have a combination of, I can't see and I've got a jittery line cause I'm just tired. Mm-hmm which may very well be the rest of my life. Okay? <laughs> uh, and then two, we draw, if I, if I pull out the pad for one of these rare moments by myself and I throw it down on the, on the kitchen table and I start drawing instantly, I've got these two uh, limpets just like, you know, they right. just immediately appear with their papers and they want to draw too. <laughs> and they're very animated. They jump up and down and they, climb on the table and they get really excited and so all that vibration on the table can i i'm learning to be very careful like as soon as someone starts to move i lift my pen you know right or like i or i like i put it in my lap or i like it go stand and put it on the counter or something like that and then the third thing is i have to be very careful not to actually try to pick up and re-ink from an ink pen that my kids have used because they smash them (laughs) they're five and seven right right (laughs) so Anyway, they've been stealing my microns or they've been begging for them, and I keep giving them to them. And I realized today I was inking an Enchantress uh, piece for the TRDL Art Jam. It's a fine art jam. 
that all artists listening should feel encouraged to join and do on DeviantArt, Facebook, and the TRDL R3 forum. Anyway, so I was drawing Enchantress for that, and I was like, I need to find, I need a fine point. I wanted to give her really dirty, sooty uh, hands and feet like Peter Stormare had in Constantine, right? That weird tar feet that he had as the devil. So I wanted to do that as another layer of grime on that character from Suicide Squad, right? Right. So I needed a finer line than I was using. I happened to be using a number five, and I was like, okay, I need to find my, I need one of my number threes. And I'm looking around. I don't have any more. <laughs> I somehow donated. I guess they thin. They start to dry out faster, and I end up giving them to the kids. And so I didn't have any more number threes. I'm like, I need to go. I can't believe this. I need to go to the art store and get more. Usually, I have a surplus. Right. Now I have to go get more. And so now I have this little list. I'm going to get some more of the microns that I need. I need to test out brush pens and pick up some. And I think I'm going to get a pot of India ink and a brush, and I'm going to try. Nice. Because I I keep seeing these these videos. Instagram live videos or YouTube videos of artists that I admire, I watch them inking and they're using a triple lot like I did for miniatures, mm-hmm. right? But what surprises me, and I have to wonder if I'm watching a close up of a of maybe one of the pens that looks like a brush, that right. has to be it. because they keep going and they never go back yeah, to the, the ink well. Never runs out. Yeah, right, right. And the biggest problem for me when I've tried to uh, hand ink back in the day when Darren Taylor would shame us about it or whatever and I would try it <laughs> right. is I would get into it. And on a second stroke, it would get all smeared. It would get all like coarse. And I'm like, oh, yeah, like I couldn't keep enough ink in the brush to do it right. Yeah, that's so my go... biggest complaint about the, the Pentel speaking of smearing actually is that the ink dries so slowly. It drives me crazy. <laughs> Do, do they not make any of these pens that have an India ink reservoir? Because that's a pretty fast. This one, um, the the Pentel one, theoretically, you could take the reservoir that it comes with and refill it with India ink and use it. I've seen people that have done that. Uh, but then you've got to, like, clean the bristles and stuff just like a regular brush. But I don't know, like, how eff- efficacious it is necessarily. You know, we were told growing up that India ink was the professional ink and it lasts forever, but I've looked at samples of India inked stuff that I have. It's pretty faded. It's turned blue. Yeah. So uh, maybe it's just it was the closest to permanent ink they had. There's a lot better stuff out there now. I know Uh, that. Um, There's some stuff out there that are just like purely opaque and really beautifully black. I've just never gotten any of it and tried any of it to see how nice it is. So today, your so today your process is not much different than it was when you started. You're still doing multiple layers. It's really not. It's right? it's a little ridiculous, but yeah, like like literally today, I'm working on the next in my Dapper Gentleman series, and let's see here. I have a regular size sheet of typing paper that I sketched out the initial form on. Then I blew that up using Photoshop. <laughs> printed that out on two typing papers that I then glued, uh, taped together. <laughs> glued together. And used an 11 by 17 sheet of typing paper to sketch on. Then I used that and did a blue line on an 11 by 17. And then just before we started recording, I transferred just the head, just the tip, onto the oh. crystal 
so that I can start inking. And that's one thing I do love about the light table is I like a clean sheet of Bristol when I'm inking. I'm heavy-handed. I smear the, the pencils everywhere. So yeah. I like to be able to take the the the, the semi-finished pencil sketch and just transfer the part of the inking that I'm going to ink at that time. So, like, if I'm just working on the hand, I'll transfer just the pencils for the hand to the Bristol, and I'll ink that. Then I'll transfer the Bristols for the arm, and I'll ink that kind of thing. Oh, interesting, yeah. Which is very time-consuming and backwards, but that's how I roll. <laughs> what I found today is I'm I'm working with an eye to flexibility because I don't know – my time is so limited. I don't know what – I don't know how I'm going to approach any particular piece. Oh, yeah. So – in some cases, I will pencil it, and then I will scan it just in case that's it. And then I might go back, like in the case of this month, I did all of this month's uh, TRDL Art Jam pieces at once because I want to get them out of the way and be able to focus on my uh, third rail stuff while I'm right overseas. On. And so I did drawings for Starfire, Katana, Sorceress, and Moana, Mm-hmm. All in pencil all at once, all over the course of maybe one night or a night and a half, whatever. Nice. Two nights. Two nights. There's no night and a half, I guess. <laughs> Two nights. And then uh, and then I scanned them, and then I turned uh, then I turned around and actually went back and re-inked all three of those in in physical inks. But I but I scanned them because I don't know I may want to go just straight digital. Right. And so I'll I'll load up the iPad with the pencils of pieces that I may physically ink later or I may not. And then I load it up with pieces that I've inked that I've scanned for render. <laughs> right on. So I have options, right? And so in this case, I ended up going back and inking them by hand before I had a chance to fiddle with them on the iPad. But I like having the flexibility because I never know. Like, for example, the kids are jumping up and down and I can't get a straight line or I'm exhausted or right. whatever. So I'm not going to be able to do the hand inks or it's just not that environment. Or, you know, my wife and I want to sit and watch a sh- dumb show like Powerless on NBC. <laughs> so... I bring the iPad and I can draw. I could, if I didn't fall asleep, I could draw while we watch yeah. the show. We watched this uh, show on Masterpiece and PBS called Victoria. Mm-hmm. It's the fa- it's the show after Downton Abbey. Oh, um, right. And unfortunately, yeah. it happened. This is a micro, micro, micro review. It happened at the same time or just after Netflix launched The Crown, which is their most right. expensive production to date. The Crown is excellent. It, it really is, is movie quality and amazing. And then you go back and watch Victoria, which is much more soapy, but it's the same stuff. It's a <laughs> it's a young queen, it's the coronation, it's politics, and it's being stuck at the palace and blah blah blah. But it's now a t- different type of of production and structure, and definitely, like I say, more more soapy. Mm-hmm. And I find myself I want to like it, but I'm more bored because the crown was just so vivid. The crown was. <laughs> From a from a compositional standpoint, every shot was cinema was like a cinema cinematographical masterpiece. Yeah, right, Lindsay all those great that shots. I've seen just a little bit of it, and what I've seen has just been phenomenal. It's just like I feel like I'm watching like the Palmer or someone's doing it. It's just amazing. Yeah. Uh, and then and then and then you get Victoria, which is just kind of you know it's like the masterpiece style. It's people in the costumes, and then that's supposed to do the job, right? Mm-hmm. And so I found more and more that I'm drawing while we're watching that. And I wish I had done that with uh, Powerless because I would have stayed awake to the end. And <laughs> you would have made min- it all yeah. 21 minutes. Well, we've talked about this. Most shows I cannot – I can't draw to. I have right. to – I'm watching it or I'm not. If I like it, I can't draw to it. And there are very few exceptions, one of which is like Workaholics. 
I really enjoy that show, but I can draw to that mm-hmm. and I can listen to it and look up and hunt certain times and it's perfectly fine. <laughs> and we've talked we've talked about my buddy who's a tattoo artist and he works on the big the illustrations for the big pieces that he's going to then put on people and he'll put a movie on that he likes. Mm-hmm. That he knows, he's seen it a million times and he'll put that on and listen to it while he draws. And I keep wanting to try to do that because I I can drive to movies and I can listen to movies and not look at them. Right. The problem is I don't know when I'm sitting there whether I'd be able to resist the urge. Like when I just find myself with this this cloddy dry brush pen <laughs> watching Barton Fink for the 80th time, I don't know. Yeah, I can understand that. But uh, anyway, I like the flexibility. I like being able to do it on the the iPad or do physical media all the, as far as I can go and then put it on the wake the wake on and then then I never know which direction it'll go like when we started this this particular recording I I started working on Enchantress and Color just because I had it ready mm-hmm. and I intended to do that on the iPad and I will continue it on the iPad mm-hmm. later it's all about having that flexibility if I don't have that right now I'm screwed yeah because I will not there's no consistency in my schedule right now. Yeah, as hectic as your life is, where you're at, what country you're even in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. So I'm going to go test out some brush pens, and I'm really excited to, to, to fiddle with it because, you know, it'll be interesting to see how how it's influenced. I see the, the inks that I do. My digital inks already look so much different than my Micron inks. It'll be interesting to see if the brush pens take it a step further or not. Yeah, that's one thing I'm kind of sitting at with this uh, this current project I'm doing because I... It's it's the Metaluna monster from this island Earth, and it's that I don't know if you know that one, but it's that really bright teal with the red veins and kind of the big swollen brain, and oh, it's right, that almost right. like insect pincher arms. Yes, I do know what you're talking about. And I'm doing him for my Dapper Monster series, so he's in a suit and he's sitting very properly. But I kind of want to do a nude variant of him because his torso is so fucking cool. And so I'm thinking what I'm going to do is I'm going to eat the nude variant of him, and then I'm going to digitally ink the suit over the top of that once I've put it in, because my inks, my physical inks are so radically different appearance-wise from my digital that I think the, the... the difference between the head and the pincher arms would be so jarring to the chest piece, whereas the suit drawn over the top of it wouldn't look as bad it's funny you know uh i it in 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 earlier times when i didn't have kids and i didn't have as much work uh, i did a lot of commission art and a fair amount of that commission art was for private collectors who frequently wanted something more mature (laughs) and you may or may not have any familiarity with this and um what uh what i found i would do on pieces that i actually if it was a if it was a little bit um beyond the pale it, it was what it was, and I'd give it to him, and then I'm done. Right. But if it was like, you know, sort of more pin stuff, then I liked what it, where it was going, but I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to take on that, that level of sort of mature illustration in what I would show. Right. I would do exactly what you were describing. I would do the, do the figure basically as a nude, and then I would do an overlay and do the finished work. PG-13 version, Yeah. yeah. I like your your photo you just sent me. <laughs> <laughs> that 
That's brush pen testing, is it? That is, and we were talking. That is while we were talking about brush pens, and that one glob next to projects we are looking forward to is still wet. That's my complaint uh, about that pen. <laughs> but the picture I sent you is good, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, it looks so like it's, it's a little wet too, but differently. No, oh, I see what you did. Uh, I have a story. But anyway, so yeah, so I would do that. I would do another layer, and I would do, and I would clothe the clothe the character yeah, properly. I did quite a few that. nude variants for commissions for people too. Yeah. yeah. So um, remember earlier you said that you were drawing Fishman. Yes, Fishman. As a kid, that made me laugh because uh, earlier today we had some guests over for brunch, and uh, the 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 guy was out in the backyard, and Mateo in his usual. Um, bonding process he had you know he got from shy to show his toys to do this and this and then come outside I, he came in the house while we were having cocktails he's i challenge you and he had a big sword so this guy went out there and was having the usual foam sword combat with him <laughs> you know the drill and at one point he i came out and i was barbecuing the the tri-tip and then uh and by the way tri-tip is a a cut of beef that we have here in california in the middle of the state and nowhere else in the world there's three tips huh Yep, three tips. So anyway, so I was barbecuing, and then I walked over, and I said, ah, you know, I'll join in, and I grabbed a sword. And then he declared that I was Merman, and the, and, and then my guest at the house said, oh, do you mean Aquaman? And then Mateo and I both on a swivel just turned to him with this sort of, like, weird gaze, and we're like, no, He-Man. <laughs> He's Merman. And, and, then, and then our house guest sort of had this, like, his wide-eyed realization that everything that we've been doing is based on He-Man. And I said, you know, we've been watching the old He-Man cartoons, and they're horrible. They're a garbage fire, but my kids love them. Yeah. He even said, my not, not my house guest, but my son, he even said to me today randomly while we're doing something, I think I was wiping his ass or something, and he said to me, Dad, I really like He-Man's muscles. <laughs> I said, okay, good to know. Does <laughs> he like the furry loincloth, too? Because when he tells you that, then you need to start worrying. That's right. Well, I was just a little irritated. I kept trying to change it. He's like, you're going to be Merman. I'm like, how about I'll be many faces? He's like, no, you'll be Merman. I'm like, uh, Merman can I be Stinkor? kind of lame. I was like, can I be Stinkor? He's like, no, you'll be Merman. Merman's job on that cartoon is to be sniveling. Yeah, he really is. Like, he's cool yeah. looking, but he's his character's terrible. He can't run with the web feet, no, no articulated knee. <laughs> right. Yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah. Anyway, this is a fun little deep dive into process. I liked yeah. it. It was fun. Yeah, this was fun. It, it's interesting, uh, you, when you and I are together, like at the con, for example, I watch, you, you, you see me sketching, and I see you sketching, and I'm fascinated at how different it is. We're using similar tools, but I love, I love nerding out, spying on another artist working on their stuff. And it's funny, so, too, because, like, I hate people watching me draw, but at cons, it's a little different. <laughs> that's right. I did notice you were trying to put your arm over your clipboard and everything, but I would always be like... I just I I'm one of those guys that likes to be completely alone in a room drawing. I and it, part of it's that at cons I'm working most of the time and I don't have time to draw. But I just I don't like people watching me draw. It's weird. I maybe it's all comes from that self conscious thing of the fact that I learned to draw from taping things up on a window. But <laughs> I remember when you showed me the. Uh... I remember when you showed me the process to um, you doing, I think it was you were doing fan art of Q Suzuki, mm-hmm. which is a fine, uh, well, actually quite excellent uh, TRDL character. Yes. And you, um, 
and you you show me the process of it and it was and it was like five five stitched references all together <laughs> like woven together and then you and then you were like and then you were in, and, yeah, yeah you're light tabling over them um and uh i was fascinated by it because i was like oh that's that's so cool i don't do any of that work you <laughs> do so much work <laughs> Yeah, that's that's how we both roll. Apparently, that was this, that was our our two hour explanation of how we started drawing and how we do it now. I guess. <laughs> and the funny thing is, I'm sure we can probably cover the same ground and talk about totally different stuff on another dozen episodes. <laughs> oh, sure, I'm sure we will. Well, and then I presumably, as we go, as we're working on. A particular project at the time we're recording, we talk about it. Yeah, and we're going to three hundred thirty-three listeners would love too. that. Yeah, sure. And we'll interview them about their process. In a city where corruption rules the streets, only one man can stop the serial killer known as the Blood Bandit. James Kurt, a former police officer turned private investigator, must race against the clock to stop the madman before he achieves his ultimate diabolical goal. When J.K.'s brother Alex is thought killed in the line of duty and mysteriously returns with no memory of his past life, the stakes are raised even higher. Enigma, the comic book series from Quad M Productions, written and illustrated by T.J. Damon, with colors and effects by Jason Vickers. Enigma, order your copy at quadmproductions.com today. So didn't we didn't we say that we were going to admit that we're doing this set segments and so yes there has been time since we last talked and so forth I can ask you how you're doing you could tell me terrible <laughs> yeah I think that'd be a good idea all right so man how are you doing that is exactly how you opened the last episode by the way like okay. those exact never- words <laughs> <laughs> never mind you ask me. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> oh, I love being consistent. <laughs> uh oh. Don't make me cough. I mean, laugh or whatever it is. <laughs> so it has been two weeks since we last spoke here on Robot Kraken, hasn't it? Yeah, and we've been trying to plan this next segment for about two weeks. Yeah, it really, it's been a little ridiculous. I. Uh, for you guys, it's been a commercial break, but for us, it's been a couple of weeks of all sorts of crap, honestly. Uh, uh, severe illness. Yeah. You violent were almost we- dead. Violent weather. What's that? <laughs> you were almost dead. And you are almost dead now. Yeah. yeah, I'm fighting something right now, so if I cough regularly through this segment, I apologize. Or if my voice suddenly stops and you just hear Tom, that's a usual episode, but... <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> I'm drinking a, a nice cup of black licorice tea, right? which is not something I would normally drink, but it's hopefully going to help get my throat through this recording. I'm drinking a delicious brew-free or die IPA from local brewers 21st Amendment, which I highly recommend. They make good beer. Yeah, and I also think you should be having this. Um, it eases the... Um, Effects of consumption, which you certainly are suffering from. <laughs> That's what I get for hanging out with cowboys. That's right. <laughs> so, yeah. So, and, and uh, in between, I think the last time we talked and now uh, in my area, we've gotten through um, almost catastrophic flooding, which 
happened, but then didn't wasn't as bad as it has been in decades past. But it was it was grim there for a while. There was a lot of people without power and uh, three creeks around me all crested at the same time around six in the morning. So you could hear the you could hear the klaxons right, right. in stereo. Well, actually, it's polyphonic. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I could hear it. I could hear it um, in all directions, which was really surreal. And then all of my my little apps were firing off messages to my iPhone and the iPad and some other things. So they're all making all these chimes right. and, and alert tones because the weather service was making the alert, the flash flood. Or actually, at that point, it was just flood warnings and. My weather station was doing it, and then my other thing was doing it, my thermostat. So all of these connected devices were all getting the same information and blasting the alerts to us. So, nice. you know, the kids the kids were at a fever pitch and sort of bouncing off the walls. Where's the boat? We need a right. boat. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty wild. Yeah, we, uh, we experienced spring for about five days. We got like 50-degree weather, all our snow melted. And then at the end of the five days, we got another foot dumped on us. So it's winter again outside. We're not supposed to get above 33 degrees for a week. Was your driveway clear for a minute and a half? Yeah, I parked in my driveway for two days. It was very exciting. But I'm back out front now where I don't have to... The way my house is, it's it's up on a corner. And when they plow the street, they plow in the entire house. And so I have to park out on the street just to be able to escape by rolling downhill past the... The pile of gravel and rock that they throw up. So, aha, uh-huh. it's lovely. I'm so done with winter, dude. Uh huh. <laughs> so sick of it. Which we I talked keep... about at length in the beginning of the last time we recorded, which is earlier in the episode. So I won't, I won't, <laughs> I won't drag out too long here. But I'm just <laughs> tired of winter, man. <laughs> yeah, every metric for me that I document because I'm a nerd. Uh, is, I'm a standard nerd. Every metric that I document is way off for this year compared to previous years. The number of miles on my bike, the, uh, oh, yeah. the my general my general health, your genital uh, health, my general health, oh, which is general. directly related to my general oh, health. Yes. But uh, anyway, so what are we going to talk about this segment? What is the hot hot item number one? Well, for us, on everyone's minds. I don't know if it's hot for everyone, but I believe both of us just finished watching the third episode of Legion. On the FX network. Now that we're diving right into the main topic for this moment, I have to give you a quick aside that Suicide Squad won an Oscar. What the hell? That's such bullshit. For fuck's sake. Isn't it, that it nuts? Star Trek for Christ's sake. <laughs> I know. I'm trying to figure out where this, where that, like, where was the impetus for this other than... No. Like, like, okay, Joker? so... The Joker had some tattoos. He had some makeup stuff going on. Killer Croc, I guess, technically, was wearing a prosthetic the whole time. All of the generic bad guys were CGI. Yeah, they were. All, they all sucked. Yeah, I can't figure it out. Like, I haven't seen the newest Star Trek, but the designs I've seen from it are gorgeous. Some of those aliens are some of the most like elegant-looking aliens Star Trek has ever done. It was really one of the best Star Trek movies, and... Um, I can help you with that. Um, you know, yes, I think that that was a surprise. I, I almost wonder if it was just one more opportunity to uh, 
to provide fan service over Harley Quinn, right? I can't. Yeah, I just can't fathom it. It doesn't make any sense. The only thing I can think of is if maybe the makeup artist that won, like the main makeup artist, was getting some sort of like legacy award, and this was how right. they decided to do it. Did Deadpool? Deadpool didn't win anything, right? I haven't really caught up. Uh, that. I don't remember. Was that this? Was he in this run? Well, I thought the I thought the big Oscar push. I know that there was a campaign to get Oscar attention for Deadpool, and it was a, a joke that then became serious. But I didn't know. For some reason, I feel like that was last year. Uh, very possibly. What? Maybe this year is last year. It could be. I've been watching a lot of Expanse and Time Space <laughs> issues are a little questionable for me. I well, know that okay. Zootopia beat Kubo and Moana, which oh, interesting. You know, honestly, like the three of those, I don't know that I would have been able to decide which one I liked better. So no kidding. I have I have the two strings here to watch. We're gonna re, we're gonna pre watch it first to see if it's okay for it's so good either with my kids. I, I'm sure I'm sure your your eldest would be fine with it. I'm just not sure about your youngest. Yeah, he, he did get a little freaked out just me talking about Krampus. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, you scare my child. Um, well, and the other thing was, since I don't we're not watching the Oscars, we don't have cable and all this. Um, it was my phone going off oh, yeah. late last late last night, and then early this morning talking about that huge cluster that <laughs> happened at the end of the ceremony. Yeah, I don't think they've ever had anything happen like that before. Not not that bad. No, I mean there was the the nonsense with with like Travolta mispronouncing what's her name's name. <laughs> yeah, <that kind> of <laughs> thing, somebody yeah. giving them the the completely wrong envelope is just crazy. Wow. Well, anyway, uh, so I'm sorry about that aside. Um, but it was topical and spontaneous. Yeah, so, this is coming out in a few days, so that'll actually be somewhat up-to-date for the listeners out there. <laughs> so so Legion, mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but I had, I had a lot of baggage when this project was announced. I had a lot of baggage that led me to be skeptical of it at first. Yeah, I mean, I had a lot of baggage, but I also had a lot of... Eh, really about it <laughs> like like of anyone that they could be like I'm gonna do a television series about an X-Man Legion does not seem like he's ripe for the taking as far as that's concerned it seemed like the hardest one to explain to a mainstream audience yes it's heavily rooted in comic mythology that they are and aren't touching on it's the- and no one has no one says Legion is their favorite character. And so there's well, not that built in yeah. fan base or anything. Well, you know, other than when they said that they were gonna do well, they announced they were doing the X Force movie, and then you're thinking it's probably not going to be the classic X Force of or they were talking about maybe they would do one, right? Right. And they're like, well, it's probably not gonna be the nineties X Force. And then uh, Lightfield announces, well, guess what? All of my dopey characters are going to be in a movie now. I promise. <laughs> and I remember having that sort of mini throw-up feeling. Um, I'm not a big fan of 90s comics. Yeah. Um, but I really associate Legion with everything I didn't like about X-Men, not from the art side, which mm-hmm. really turned me off at the in the 90s, but just ever from day one, that character concept just bored me. And now we have, like, every other day, there's an om- omnipotent all-powerful psychic, See, but you know, post-Xavier psychic in those comics. But it's funny time, to me because I actually really liked him in the comics when he came out because I thought he was something a little different than just 
another like omnipotent psychic type of guy. Yeah. Well, I think mm, I could not get into the solo book at all. Um, uh, is that the more all... recent one? I haven't read it. No, no, no. Just back in the day, mm. all of all of the original stuff, all the all the build drawn stuff. I, I understood the concept of why they would do this project, but it didn't it didn't stick with me whatsoever. No. And to have and to have uh, Xavier to have a son that was more powerful than him, mm-hmm. but was a Looney Tune, and they were just going to shunt it off to the side and just make it its own little wackadoo story. Mm-hmm. At the time that was happening, it was not it was not hitting for me at all. Yeah, I get that. Now that said, when they announced this project, I thought, well, okay, it's going to be hot garbage. And then they announced Dan Stevens was going to be in it, and I really liked him from uh, Downton Abbey. Downton Abbey. Yes, but yes. And, and of course he's going to be very popular for Beauty and the Beast very soon. But I just thought it was one of those deals where when they landed someone like him, and that's before Gene Smart and some of these other people, but when they landed him for this, and you give it everything that he walked away from. Right. He pulled a David Caruso, but actually successfully, right? <laughs> he walked away from the most, one of the most po- popular shows on, uh, you know, internationally, and then and then said, "Oh, you know, right, we do some plays." And then he and then he joins this project. That was the first moment where I thought, "Well, wait a minute," because I really wasn't familiar with the production, uh, it, it, the pedigree of this of this crew. And you are right. Well, yes and no. I mean, the simple fact is, is the pedigree. Like, the, the writer-creator of this series has really just done Fargo. Well, but I haven't seen Fargo, and you have. Yeah, so. and Fargo, I've seen the first season of Fargo. It's excellent. It's really well done. It's quirky. And, like, it's won an obscene amount of awards. I think it's been nominated between its two seasons for, like, 115 awards or something like that. It's well, really I'm supposed good. to see it. I'm supposed to be watching Fargo and loving it, uh, especially since the Coen brothers acknowledged it and said, you know, run with it. Right. Looks great. At that point, I went from hating it as a concept to saying, oh, I guess I'm supposed to watch this now. But, uh, yeah, I haven't watched any of the Fargo, but I've heard about it. So, anyway. And so I came into this totally blind. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's like, knowing that this guy is involved with it, you can see touches of his directing and writing, but it's so radically different from Fargo that it's still, like, it's not like it's, oh, look, it's Fargo with mutants or anything like that, which is interesting. I guess we should tell people that there will be spoilers here. (laughs) Because there's really no way of talking about this show without spoiling things and, like, spoiling theoretical things, possibly comic book spoilers as well. So if you don't want to listen to us spoil aspects of Legion, uh, I'll... She's a, you'll skip ahead or something. I don't know. I'll well, probably I, put in a sound clip. <laughs> well, yeah, but also um, I was really hot to get on this as soon as I possibly could because I was afraid of reading something about it. It looked very much like something that you really need to see as soon as possible. And I would say that is a takeaway, right? you got to get on Legion if you haven't watched it. Yeah, it's good. The more it comes out, the less interesting it's going to be. For yeah, absolutely. I'm so terrified of like catching spoilers of it. And luckily it's not like The Walking Dead with 8 million people watching it that right. immediately post on all the social medias because, yeah, it's... Uh, it's... Definitely something that I don't want spoiled for me, even knowing where they're coming right. from from a comic book standpoint. But well, and refreshingly though, they've spun it in, a, in some different directions, which 
which I really like. We'll talk about that. Um, in terms of its background, though, and the way that it's being presented, it's reminding me a lot more of like Pushing Daisies, projects like that. Yeah. The sur- the, and Twin Peaks, right? The yeah. surreality, the surreality of a world that seems to be normal but is not, and and then a, um, and a very flexible definition of what is reality and what is fantasy and what is dream and the fact that they're not going to let they're not going to tell us i love that that this is not making it easy on the viewer they're right you walk into this project and the expectation is you sit down and shut up and enjoy it and it's okay to be confused and you know i love that stuff i love it when they don't spend 20 minutes breaking down what the framework for the for the world is that they're going to talk about it's just right which hit the ground running and you don't know what to believe and what not to believe. I love that. Imagine seeing this and you don't know anything about Legion or the X-Men. Yeah. Right? Yeah, so. it's, it's definitely something where it's it's been so pleasantly unexpected for me. Absolutely. <laughs> well, so what's it about? <sighs> that is a good question. What is it about? So we have <laughs> we have David Howler, and they say his name so much in this show. Mm-hmm. And they they say the name David at least thirty times an episode, but uh, well, he plays. Good astute, that's a good astute observation, though. I thought about that. Yeah, this is a guy who's got a fractured sense of self. And who, depending on the continuity, on. yeah, depending on the continuity and what they're doing, he may be many people. Right. The fact that they keep put saying his name like a mantra to me uh, seems very deliberate. Yeah, I, I think it is. I think it's really interesting that they keep like driving home who he is to him by using right. his name. It's kind of a connecting factor, and right. it's it's interesting because they don't really use anyone else's names much, like the Tolmany or whatever that guy's name is, like they've said it maybe three times in the last couple episodes. So it's, it's interesting that it's gotta be like an intentional thing. Yeah. And so, so it's about David who is in an institution and theoretically schizophrenic, Mm -hmm. I guess. Uh, but obviously convinced that he is, right? Yeah. He's convinced that he is, we have seen other movies before and, uh, and know that there's something more going on than just him being crazy. Although the arc so far has suggested he thinks he's crazy and he's being, well, the world that you're seeing suggests that he's in an insane asylum. Right. And then it shifts to, well, you're, you're not crazy. This is just your powers manifesting and you can't process it. So you, you're acting crazy, but you're really not. You're just powerful. And now, and then by the third episode, it's turning itself around, and he's saying, "Well, wait a minute, maybe I'm I'm super powerful and crazy." Yeah, which I think, which I think was the most interesting conclusion there. Yeah, it's a really, it's a cool way to go with it because it's like, it's so he's with Gene Smart and her group, who are kind of the proto X Men of this version, I guess. And they're being hunted by what? What's the name of the group that's hunting them? Division three. Division. I was, I was like, I know how dare you? In it. <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, well, when it starts, though, he's in an asylum. In what he thinks is an asylum. This is going to be a hot. This is going to be a hot mess because I don't even. We're describing things like as if 
what we're seeing is true and we don't know. Right. But we yeah. believe he's presented that he's in an asylum, which may or may not be a lab I designed think, as a construct to make him think he's in an asylum. I think it opens with him in an actual asylum, but I think it's definitely something where Division Three has their fingers in it. Right. They're using it as the framework to hide him and perform their experiments on him. And I feel because there are like, other people there. Yeah, there's other people who are clearly just like your standard crazies. And I feel like his either his powers or his insanity is modifying what the place looks like to a certain extent. Sure. But yeah, his sister visits. There's you know, they it's all kind of standard off aside from being gorgeous. Oh, that's a gorgeous set. Well, and then Sid Barrett shows up, although it's not clear to me whether she was sent in as a as a mole to get him because she's right. part of his group, or whether she I, I don't I don't quite know. But the point is, they establish within the first few minutes of the first episode that he's an unreliable narrator. Right. So that's fascinating. There's they've recontextualized this, the experiences he was having in the asylum mm-hmm. as being very very uh, cuckoo's nest. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, and then other times there'd be a, a wash of his panic, and you would see it very clinical with, you know, you'd see the back of house stuff with all the paramilitary. Mm-hmm. And then other times it looks almost like it's an, an entirely a mental construct. And it's, and it's fascinating to me to see that maybe even that we haven't, what we've seen is not real, right? I really think that could be. Like, there could be entire characters in this that were never really people or were him as a different person, and they're playing with that from the get-go, too, with him and the body swap with Sid and... Yep. And, uh... What's her name? Mm-hmm. Uh, you talking about Parks and Lenny? Rec. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Aubrey Plaza. Yeah. Well... In the first episode, I was convinced through the majority of that episode that everybody he was interacting with were person, personalities of it in his own mind. Right. Because they didn't even show the, those recurring scenes of them crushing in on him and the background of all the whispering and everything. Right. Um, and and it seemed to me that maybe this is all this whole room is is a is a construct of it, of his mind, mm-hmm. and yet we're told now that that's not the case. Well, and they show his sister showing up and then right. again, they show her now, you know, in the second episode, she's like, where's my brother? And they're like, well, we don't have any record of him. Well, so even then she could have been, we don't know if there's any other psychics. We don't know who else is involved in what division three's capabilities are. Right. So we don't know if, you know, there may be even, a, um, uh, clockworks. I think they called it. There may even be a, a site like that. And, and and it is a true asylum, and she does think he's been checked in, but he hasn't been there. Or yeah. there really is no there is no asylum. It's all it's all a front for what's happening. I don't know, but I'm not yet convinced that everything we've seen him experience in those scenes is even real. <laughs> right. It, it's, it's setting aside all the time jumping in the narrative about the the psychiatrist mm-hmm. and all those different all of his uh, you know his previous memories that are so painful and all that. I'm not even sure because. The, the mechanism of, of Sid Barrett showing up and, and that whole dream weaver kind of thing where she just kind of shows up and she sits down and she's always glowing because he's, he's you know, he's idolicizing her and all that. Right. I, it, it seemed highly unlikely to me that someone would just show up and, and start forming a relationship with someone else in an asylum when they're so careful about the way that they limit people's relationships to each other and themselves right. in those environments. It seemed like almost too easy that they would become close and be that free to hang out. Right. Right. 
So I don't know. I don't even know if that was really happening the way he's remembering it. Well, and I'm wondering, you know, did did uh, Gene Smart's group send her in? Well, it certainly seems that way. And, 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 and Or is she part of his construct in his head? And, like, there's a, a couple of parts in it where I'm just like, oh, it's not real. She's totally just another one of his personalities. And so I'd watch the scene super close to see if anybody interacted with her. And right. there's just enough conversation with almost everybody in this show that you could be like, oh, nope, she's not real, but sometimes she's him. And so that's why they're talking to her. It's just right. so easy to, like, wrap your brain around it three different directions and not have any of them be right. <laughs> and think about how careful it was that they introduced that she has this power, that, you know, the touching power and swapping yes. swapping consciousness with someone. At first, it's it seems like she's a rogue knockoff, right? Mm-hmm. And then I was thinking, well, this is a mechanism to prevent us from having information about whether she's real. He can't touch yes. her. It's classic. They're playing with the trope, the sixth sense kind of trope. Mm-hmm. And then and then they and then they circumvent it. And, but what I did like, and you mentioned about the set design, and we should talk about the that thematically. But note that when she comes and when he gets busted out, mm-hmm. and he comes out into the world, on on top of all the other stuff that's happening that changes the way it looks, the way she is in real life or supposed real life is totally different than the way she looked in the asylum. Right. Right. She's being shot. She no longer has the glow. She's got, she's less smiley. Mm -hmm. She's much serious, much more serious. And to me, that sort of represents um, a little bit more of a reality check. I just don't know if that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Or is that just part of him that's going out with that? Like that scene, the escape scene is really interestingly filmed and it's filmed in a way that you could, like, like there was never three people getting attacked all at the same time or anything like that. To yep. the point that if they really want to play with the convention and the origins of Legion, three of those people could have been him in that scene and just doing the different powers kind of thing. It's just so interesting. I felt the exact same way. When you see what they're doing in that escape, the camera's panning that whole winding excursion down the thing and around and over to the water mm-hmm. and all of these agents are showing up and they're being blasted and everything that was used on them could be could be his own powers right Tele- telekinesis right mm-hmm. i don't know anyway yeah I, yeah, yeah I, and it was such a great take on the the marvel hallway scene too it really was which was really and also cool. but also it's very specifically it's because of that single Pan kind of from above, watching them wind their way out. There's something very surreal about it yeah. that I thought was very deliberate because it would be a lot easier to shoot a very conventional action escape sequence. Mm-hmm. But because they did it this way, it really made me wonder: Is any of this really happening the way we're seeing it? Yeah, it was really and, beautifully shot. And he went and he went with it. He's like, okay, and he's just kind of running along while all these people are co- are are covering him. Yeah. Right? So yeah, that that went a long way towards making me wonder if. You know how much of what we were being shown was what he was perceiving happening versus what was really happening, and I and I was looking forward to a scenario where we're going to see some other version of that event where he just blasts his way out of there, and all these people are flying around. <laughs> right, it's just him and a bunch of rubble, right? You know. <laughs> but anyway, so he was in a, he was maybe in an asylum, and he maybe had lost control of his powers after what initially seems to be emotional stress from a relationship which later seems to be about being, you know, being busted for his drug use, but who knows. And then he's rescued from this world 
by a proto X-Men type team mm-hmm. who then spend the so the first episode is crazy times and the second episode is the trope of the matrix right right you, you're the one and we're going to train you and and then you're going to lead us and you're going to be our savior kind of thing but then it it, it monkeys with it it does because it they can't because yeah they can't do what they're trying to do because his powers are overpowering their ability to reach him mm-hmm. psychically which was great and then by the third episode i don't know it became it became almost like it was playing with the tropes of inception right yeah, yeah, there's... Memory within memory. Like, and, seven and, different levels. There's other people influencing the levels. There's the weird mojo guy that I'm, like, super fascinated by every time he shows up on the screen. He is so crazy, although I have to say, um, the angriest boy in the world thing, I don't know what the F's going on, but that guy's the scariest thing ever. Yeah. In grayscale, he's like a Batman black and white statue come to life all crazy. I love yeah, that guy. He's so creepy. Yeah, yeah and that's like, like <laughs> clearly not a story you would read to your kid. Mm-hmm. And so it's got to be some sort of like mental thing that he's got going on. Do you think that there's, I mean, obviously they're silhouetting his parents and his father mm-hmm. for a reason. And my initial thought was, well, okay, it's going to be Xavier mm-hmm. and we just can't see it yet. But you see the hairline and, and the way he looks and... And then in, in season in episode three, there was that moment when Jean Smart's walking through the construct of his memory behind by herself, mm-hmm. and she passes the parents in the kitchen. Right. And they kind of look like, or they or they seem to be his parents, and they kind of look like your conventional sort of fifties right dad and mom. So I don't know. I don't know what's going on there. I'm really hoping it's not Xavier. I really want this to be. They're saying it's going to tie into other continuity, but I really want this to be... They're saying that, but they've also seen multiple things from Holly, or the the guy that wrote it, that yeah. says specifically that it's like a parallel dimension to the storylines. Well, it, it, that got me thinking that maybe the way they play this is we're seeing these things and they look they look familiar but different because this is all part of his construct. And later on, if they want to tie it together... To something else, yeah. Then they'll, they'll pull the curtain back, and you'll see that people that he's dealing with or things that he's manifesting are based on experiences in, you know, the X Men continuity or something else. Right. But right now, I don't want, I don't want his parents. I want his dad to be a nutty astronomer, and I and I want, I want him to be the devil seed, right? The, mm-hmm. the, the kid that's born that's that's crazy powerful out of nothing, and and that there is no there there because I'm really bored of. The story mechanism that you're yeah, everything goes back to your parents and your parents had these powers. Well, you know, it it doesn't bother me that much because it is. I mean, we are talking about Xavier, like one of the strongest mental yeah. minds on the planet, kind of thing. But from a from a TV isolated standalone standpoint, I feel like it's too much baggage to bring in. It just adds. There's too many questions yeah. in the way that the framework has been created. For him to be properly Xavier, um, it could be because, like in the in the continuity of the comic books, Xavier never knew that he was his kid. He had a different right. dad. Right, that's true. That's true. But also, even if also everything that we're seeing up in his memories of his childhood could also be safety blocks. Right. right. They even mentioned that finally in episode three. 
that he's got blocks in place to protect his brain is acting with self-defense. Right. So that's, I mean, I want, I love that. And the idea that is he crazy or is he just like overloaded with input and, and super powerful? I love that there doesn't have to be a distinction. Yes. Yeah. I love the way they do the, the, like you were saying with the crowds of people boxing him in and crowding him, it so easily could be a side effect of his, his, mental abilities to read other people's thoughts and to hear what they're thinking, or it could be multiple personalities boxing him in. It's just such a cool visual aspect where it could be either of those things so clearly. They did an interesting thing with the question about whether the people that he's interacting with at the hospital are real. So I'm thinking, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, they're all, you know, they're all constructs of his mind. Very clearly, Aubrey Plaza doing her her, you know, irreverent, crazy, crazy chick manifestation. Well, obviously that's some fractured component of his personality and she's not real. And then they show us, at least in the narrative, Mm -hmm. that she was real. And then when the, when the power swap happened with Sid and the walls were formed, Mm -hmm. she was a wall formed through her and she died. And now she's kept her personality is carrying on as part of his, as part of his mental construct. But even then, we don't know if that's really true. Right, right. right. And, uh, like, that's one of the things that really makes me wonder whether Sid is real or not, is the yeah. fact that Sid saw... Uh, what's what's Aubrey Plaza's character's name? Lenny. Lenny. Lenny Busker. Like, Lenny die, supposedly. Whereas, like... Like, the scenes of the flashbacks with with David and his girlfriend in the apartment... And, like, even with Lenny and him out on the, the street with the stove and that kind of thing, he's kind of a passive second to it. And, like, Lenny's not yeah. there when he's burglarizing the psychiatrist's office in the memory. And right. there's just enough of that that he, it could be him and a mental construct the entire time. In episode three, when the girlfriend comes and you see that the scenes of him laying around on the ground smoking vapor mm-hmm. and her coming in and interrupting him and you know she's like oh you know we have people coming over and then and then Lenny jumps up and grabs the cake from her and then they're right. fighting they're fighting over the over the the whatever the little smoke pot mm-hmm. um she doesn't directly acknowledge that her boyfriend is sitting on the ground with some other girl right she's focusing slowly on are you okay yeah and i thought that was very interesting yeah, I'm, I, I'm still not. And then also, you know, we keep seeing these overlays to um, following her and him around on the in the shopping cart, and then they're cooking. You know, the old beat up stove that we initially thought they stole from the psychiatrist, right. but then she's like trying to barter for drugs. And then you like later you see someone's cooking on the stove, some really weird concoction that almost looks like it has bones in it. I don't right. know what the they're cooking. Of the, the parking lot too. In the parking lot with no power. And while they were cooking, one of the later versions of that scene. It's flashing and it's different people cooking. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I I love not knowing though. I, really I do, do too. I I am loving this series so far. How much is this like X filing and fringing itself to where Oh man, it's just, just so good. The the walls coming up and, and cleaving her off look like the beginning of a fringe episode. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And the and then the the leeches and some of the imagery of Division three feels very X Files. It has that sort of vague, vaguely menacing tone. I love yeah. that, 
the the swimming pool scene yes. was amazing. Yes, and the eye is that that character actor is so good in this. I think you know. So I was really thrown. The first episode, I was convinced that I was looking at. Um, uh, 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 oh, come on, not Tom. Who did I think I was looking at? Tom Waits. I thought I was looking at Tom Waits. Oh, yeah, he totally has he a shaved his head. quality, yeah. I thought maybe he shaved his head, because we didn't hear him talk. Right. And he had that face, and he, maybe I thought, wow, did he shave? Is this like some crazy stunt thing? Like, did Jim Jarmusch <laughs> know uh, Noah <laughs> Holly or something, right? right? Like, how is this possible? And then I and then I looked him up later and saw he was a different actor. But um, his whole thing was great. But what I really liked was the, we're kind of going the back way into the casting. But yeah, I really liked all over the place. Uh, the, uh, I don't remember his name, but he's the, um, he's the other agent that's doing all the talking. Yes. Uh, oh God, what is his name? It's, uh, Hamish Linklater. Yeah. Yeah. I, he is so interesting looking. Yeah. He really and his delivery is. and everything about him in that whole, uh, in that whole sequence where he's trying to convince him it's, he's just being interviewed and it almost seems like it's an interrogation, but then it's not. I thought it was just really. I thought I find that guy absolutely fascinating. Yeah, it's funny. Like, like I think I've only really seen him in uh, that uh, the crazy ones. He was in that uh, with Sarah Michelle Gellar and Robin Williams, the TV show. Oh yeah, he was in like twenty two episodes of that. He's really good in it with them, and he plays kind of the. The semi love interest with Sarah Michelle Geller, but not exactly. He's kind mm. of the Jimmy Olsen, <laughs> right? But he's really like like he's a completely different person in this. And yeah, I thought he was excellent. Yeah, it says that he was he was Larue Dollars in Fargo, so that makes me want to see Fargo. I think that must um, be in the second season. Actually, it's the third season according to this. Oh, see, that, that isn't out yet, so. Um, the, uh, but I was trying to figure out where I knew him from. And I think it's, uh, I think he was, I guessed it on ugly Betty. (laughs) (laughs) It says here he was on fantastic four and other stuff, but I don't remember that. He was Leonard in fantastic four. He was the, I think he was the boyfriend in it or like Mm -hmm. the one that had a crush on. I don't know. I've blocked so much of that fucking movie out. (laughs) Now I can't remember anything other than the current fantastic four, which we decimated in a previous recording. Right. Yeah. Um, so let's talk briefly about casting before we talk about the way it looks. So Dan Stevens is certainly blowing me away. He's showing so much more range. I'm shocked um, at how good he is in this. And subtlety. He's yeah. not playing broad, right? No, and he's like, he's playing like this, oh my God, he blows me away. Like the there's this innocence in him and then... At other times, he seems so much older, and oh, yeah, he's fantastic in this. How dope is it that he is playing an unstable, unhinged, completely in pain, and 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 just whatever, mm-hmm. completely distraught character who is not only the protagonist but is actually a sympathetic character? Yeah. Despite all of this, he's playing. He's being whiny. He's the complexity to this. He's being whiny. He's being uh, paranoid. He's being needy. He's being uh, sort of standoffish. All this stuff that are character traits that would not be appealing. Right. And yet, and yet, and, and all this hot mess together, and yet you cannot take your eyes off him. He has really endearing, like his the way he looks at you and the way 
you know, the way the way his his mannerisms are, even though you you know he's real trouble, you can you get the sense that people are drawn to him anyway. Yeah, what, what a great casting choice. Yeah, his accent. Once again, the accent is completely gone. You can't tell. Yeah, yeah, it blows me away. Like, like I liked him as Crowley a lot in Downton Abbey, but he is so charismatic in this and like flawed and interesting. It's just crazy. So, and then I guess next in in what seems to be importance is uh, Sid Barrett, Rachel Keller. I had no, I had no familiarity with her at all, but I understand she's a Fargo and. Uh, She's a Fargo person, right? I I think so. I don't actually. I think she's in this. She must. She might be in the second season of Fargo. I can't remember. Yeah, it's a, yeah, Fargo. She seemed really unfamiliar to me. 2015. It, she's an interesting one because her uh, her face her face is very. She's very pretty. I love her hair with the the tails. That mm-hmm. you no know, tails. Um, she has one of those um, classic, uh, you know, beautiful faces that the lines of the jaw and her eyes and the way of her mouth, especially her mouth, they are very, very, very attractive and very sort of uh, mesmerizing. She's a mm-hmm. really interesting face. But what I really like about her, I don't want this to sound precious, but I love that she's got a Hollywood imperfect body, right? Yeah. And you know she still is, uh, I don't know, skinnier and fitter and and whatever than ninety nine percent of humans. But she's not the typical. Right. She's got she's got a female. little more hip to her. Right. And yeah, she's she's definitely a little more unique looking. I. That goes a long way to making her seem like a real person. I love that. I feel like she's probably the most replaceable member of the cast. So far, yeah. So, I mean, she's she's got a little bit of quirkiness to her, but her quirkiness feels a little more forced than a lot of the others. She doesn't quite throw... Like, to me, I feel like someone that can't touch other people would be a little twitchier about people than she is. Well, but I don't know that I believe what I'm seeing yet. Right. She, The way she was acting in the asylum seemed very forced. Yeah. But I think that might have been her playing it up yeah, you know, as part of the getting close to him, the way she's acting in the supposed real world, she's much more uh, grounded. Yeah, and and what's interesting though is that they they spent the first episode making us feel like she was straight up rogue, like she right. had. Well, we didn't know it was rogue yet, but we but she was reading as I mean I've I've known and even dated um, you know young women who had a thing had an issue, mm-hmm. and it's not something that's very easy to wrap your head around it if you don't have that issue, but you're very aware of the fact that there could be someone with a, they have a, they have a, an emotional or a psychological issue, but at the same time, they're very vulnerable, but at the same time, you can't, you can't do what you think you would do to make them feel better because it's only going to be worse for them. The right. touching thing, that's a, you know, um, childhood trauma, sexual trauma, that's a very common fallout of that, right? Is that yeah. inability to handle that sort of contact. This is taken to an extreme, so now that she's in the world and we're and we're we've established that she seems to be only acting this way because she doesn't want to be swapped. Right. Um, it still feels great as a tragic, you know, that tragic love story thing where you can't, you know, you you feel that you really do feel that he wants to. <laughs> they both want to touch each other, and right. I love all that where they're very, you know, they get really close to each other, but they don't actually do it. I think that's great. Yeah. However, if. 
if we go the rogue route, we know that she could just put on some gloves or whatever. You know what I mean? Right. She could definitely be physical without touching skin, but they're not doing that. And the other thing is, I was really aware of it, like right in the face aware of it in the last episode, when she woke up first, and then yes. she's trying to get the other guys to wake up, and all she's doing is banging around on the furniture, but she's not, she's not, she didn't take the thing. She didn't even take the couch pillow and poke the person. Right. She didn't she kick the person. Hit next to him. Yeah. But also, Tonami Wallace, the, the guy with the dream state powers, he was just sitting there. Right. He was awake. Once he woke up, he was awake, but he wouldn't do anything. Right. And I'm really interested about that. That's more of those red flags, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. So Aubrey Plaza, of course, that's... that's um, to me, that was a big draw because I love her. But right, um, she's point. I'm, I'm happy to see that she's playing it a little differently than she's not playing the morose version from Parks and Rec, and she's not playing the the um, sort of malevolent force of nature that she was in the uh, the Wedding Dates movie. Mm-hmm. She, but at the same time, I'm I'm liking that she's. I mean, you seem to you feel like you know what her character is about, and then and then it starts to change. Yeah, like you're not she- really. She has a really interesting arc so far, definitely. I just feel like she's maybe more complicated than we're initially, like this whole uh, being the rebel that wants the drugs and being like, oh, cut loose and be a chaotic chaotic force may not be entirely everything that she's about. Right. I'm hoping so. I'm hoping so. I hope so, too. Yeah, because I, I like her. I... I I think part of it is just that Dan Stevens is so good in this. That, uh, like, Jean Smart's great. She's good in everything. Uh, She's kind of just playing her her in it. And so I just think that that Dan Stevens is so solid that a lot of the other ones kind of pale by comparison in a lot of ways. Because I think Aubrey Plaza and uh, the lady that plays Sid is, they're doing a good job. It's just that Dan Stevens is so good in this. I, I, I thought it was really interesting that Jean Smart's character... Melanie, mm-hmm. I, I thought that it was interesting that she is interacting with things in that facility in order to hear the re- the recorded voice of her dead husband. Yeah, that was super surreal to me. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. The 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 coffee machine telling her stories and stuff. That's I couldn't parse the uh, I couldn't parse the the thematic relevance to the story being told, mm-hmm. and I feel like they didn't even finish it. Maybe or I don't know, before she restarted, I couldn't, I, w- I was becoming so fixated by the concept of the machine having that feature. Right. <laughs> that I wasn't tracking what it was saying. Enough. Well, I mean, I the, the story that he was telling was just a really traditional fable where it was like, mm-hmm. don't look at it or something bad will happen and then you can't oh, right, the crane. you look at it. And it flies away and you lose it forever kind of thing. And well, I guess... How it, does that relate to the story, right? I mean, I guess I kind of see it just from the standpoint that they spend the entire rest of the episode looking at the interior of David's head yeah. and his memories. Sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. I, I'm i particularly fascinated from a casting standpoint of the Carrie and Carrie. Oh, yes. I was going to say the same thing. I think that's really neat. They, I, I wish they hadn't sort of confirmed what we thought was happening by the third episode. Yeah. I wish it would have stretched out longer. Yeah. But they do seem to be split versions of, or 
a shared consciousness or something because she come in the third episode she jumps right back into his body. She does, but she also like Sid can see her. Well, right, but is it? But I think it's well. My interpretation was that she they are two they are two forms and then they it's like a nesting doll. So do you think he like in. physically manifests her and that she's an actual physical form? Or do you think it's just another multiple personality type situation? Well, I was going I mean my mind I was going back trying to think of when she interacted with things. She's fight she's doing a lot of combat in the escape, but the escape may not have been real. Right. And then she's she's doing a lot of training. Right. She's interacting with an inanimate object, and she was carrying equipment around in the mm-hmm. testing scenes, and she's talking to people. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know for sure. Yeah, it's creepy. I'm, I'm all about Bill Irwin, though. I was trying to figure out. I'm it's still trying to great. figure out where I, where I really see him from. I'm so familiar with him, but I can't decide what project it is that has really. Uh, there's got to be. Yeah, there's something. Like I know. I know. Know him. Um, I mean, he was in, like, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the terrible live-action version, but I know that's not what I know him from. Well, I know he was in CSI a lot and, and, and a few other things, and so, oh, he was one of the noodles on Sesame Street. <laughs> that's probably I'm it. 98% certain that's not what I know him from. <laughs> well, but here's the other thing. Uh, I was reminded of him when I was going through his MDBA page, he, he became familiar when I remembered the behind-the-scenes photos from Interstellar. Uh-huh. He's he's Tars, right? He not only voices Tars, but I think he also was physically the guy. I still haven't seen that movie, actually. What? Yeah. Oh, sweet lord. <laughs> more, 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 more homework for you with all your yeah, free no time. Shit. Well, anyway, he's he's playing the he's playing a a robot in that movie. Okay, and I believe not only is he verbally playing it, but I even think that he was doing the mocap for the robot because mm-hmm. they did they did a physical they did a physical recreation of it. Um, um, they actually oh not even mocap now they think about it. It was actually I think they even built the front they built the whole, they built the thing but made it a practical effect that an actor behind is 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 walking it and I think interesting. I think that was him. Anyway, it's certainly his voice. So anyway, he's really he's just got he's got one of those faces that you just you can't tear your eyes off of it. Yeah. And I love that we don't know what mad scientist stuff he's doing. Right. And I love that he seems as uh, disturbed or confused by what's happening when the tests don't re- result. <laughs> right. <laughs> Although you know, one has to wonder that they wouldn't be surprised. That, uh, that things could go wrong when you stick someone mentally unhinged into an MRI. I mean, what? Yeah, no shit. Especially <laughs> with, with the MRI powers. <laughs> he handled the MRI better than most people handle it, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. Anyway, so casting so far has been really good. I'm not as keen on uh, uh, Tony Wallace as that actor, Jeremy Harris, yeah, I guess. It doesn't I bother me, but it doesn't do anything for okay. me either. Yeah. And, and uh, his his sister amy holler don't particularly like that actress I, and, uh, yeah like she has nothing distinctive about her like i genuinely didn't recognize her in the most recent episode when she was talking i was like who oh yeah <laughs> yeah once once they took the um once they took the uh, the, uh, the artifice of the sort of 60s mod clothes off of her she was became less recognizable yeah. same again with philly the the old girlfriend she's not She's not registering for me at all. No, no, she, yeah, she's like a non-character for me. The 
The only other character in it that kind of stands out to me is the psychiatrist, and that's just because he sounds like... Uh, what's his name? The Allstate guy. Mm-hmm. Dennis Haysbert. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Haysbert, yeah. <laughs> Which reminds me, we need to watch Inc- Incorporated, because apparently that's oh. cyberpunk wonder, wonder, wonderful stuff. I see. Um, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. But yeah, it's it's great. I uh, So let's talk about the sets and like oh, yes. the, the design of things. Color blocking masterclass. Oh my god, it's amazing. Like you, I just, you I could couldn't just believe it. watch this with the sound off and not pay attention to the actors, and it's a it's just gorgeous. This is this is TV that's filmed with that oh, that, that that movie quality cinematics. Yeah, it's not just the sets and how well they're they're crafted, but it's also the way the camera is being used and how it's moving in and out of things. And the what great cutscenes, yeah, and transitions they're using, yeah. water levels and. In in the last episode, they even had uh, two different color drips of dye into water in reverse, mm-hmm. which is which is a, which is a callback to the vapor, right? Right. And then and then it goes in reverse, and and as it comes back up to the surface, then he and Sid burst out of the out of the lake when they teleport. Oh my god, it's just so great! Like that, and like the the cuts with the worms as they squirm across it, and. And I love that it's kind of indistinct as far as when this takes place exactly. That's fascinating me. And they even talked about timelines in the last one. Mm-hmm. And they said 40 years ago, 30 years ago, about the installation yeah. being inherited by, by Melanie in it. And I don't think I've seen a single cell phone or computer that's identifiable age-wise. But the interviewer... Mm-hmm. Was was using like a high tech iPad, like he was using a glass plate. Right, but it flipped uh, weirdly. It had like a weird like like a static to it. Well, well and so that's what. So, so here's the thing: the all the people. So we are seeing a bunch of imagery that looks like 50s and 60s. Yeah, and like, 70s. Well, like Tommy during the breakout just has a straight up like 30s Tommy gun. That's right, and then <laughs> that's right. and then and, and then you know the the the. Um, you know, the heavy mod stuff, the early '70s design, mm-hmm. the architecture, and a lot of the imagery in in the clothing design and the built world design is very very modern. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, you have oh, and then you have the view screen that we keep seeing, which is like a stretched piece of canvas or something that's right. been webbed to a frame, and then it's a monitor. Yeah. And then and then here we have, and then you see a bunch of uh, tactical ops guys, whatever the modern tactical gear with guns, mm-hmm. and. But then you see, so you see that glass, that glass uh, iPad that he's holding. Right. But all those are experiences that he's experiencing. Right. That, uh, that Dan's experience, David Holler's experiencing. So it starts to make me wonder: Is all the other is the anachronisms of, of design, which are very deliberate, mm-hmm. are those anachronisms because that's a com- some sort of familiar or comforting construct for him? And and it's actually taking place in the present day, and things don't really look that way. Mm-hmm. Or or is the present day or futuristic elements things that he's constructing? Right. Like like we can't tell With things like that. Um, or is it a machine? Yeah. Or is it just like a side effect of them deciding to go parallel timeline, and they're just straight up? You know, this is science fiction. This is how we're going to do it, kind of thing. Well, you know, it, uh, thinking about that. Garbage Fire Gotham. Mm-hmm. Th- there is a precedent about mishmashing genre imagery right. in the set design, 
just because you can. Right. Like Gotham has no rhyme or reason why they're doing seventies, uh, you know, French Connection car chases and you know thirties costuming for what's his face, and then so you know all this random stuff all clutched together for no reason. They're just doing it to do it. Yeah. They don't even have a, they don't even have a plan. So there's no reason that, that this can't also just be it's a stylistic choice. Yeah. Um, I think it works totally fine that way, but I think it's absolutely fascinating and gorgeous. It's really beautiful, and like even just something the the simple stuff like like David's shirts that he's wearing, how like he, the the one episode he's got that that circle with the square cut out that makes an mm-hmm. L on it. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's oh, great. It's just so clever. I love it. What was the arrow? Do you think in the latest episode? I don't know. I was curious about that because it's definitely a. a a distinct decision that they made, but I'm not sure what exactly. You know, I'm in hog heaven with all the threes everywhere. And it's oh, not yeah. just, it's not just division three's logo, <laughs> but then there's three pills and three, this and three, that, but also there's other really neat stuff, uh, involving the circle and, and, yes. which, and the recursiveness of a circle layout, which is obviously thematically very well suited to the show, but there's all of these picture windows yeah. There's there's that one uh, conference room that uh, Melanie has where there's actually an X frame in it. Yeah. And if that's if that's the most we get out of X Men, I'll be fa- I'll be totally fine with it. Yeah. Because I've always hated that X Men have all the branding all over the place. <laughs> Subtlety is better. But uh, also, uh, even then, there was like in the second episode, there was was it the psychiatrist's office? Maybe there's a picture on the wall. There's some abstract art of a of a sort of hacked up circle. Oh yeah, that's right? uh, that's their. That's the room they they teleport to when they're oh, in right. their brain. Uh, yeah, right, right, right. Um, this the the swirl of all of the stuff in the kitchen when he's having his flip out. Mm-hmm. It's in a it's in a spiral, right? And they the way they use the color blocking and the lighting on this is just insane to me. Like like her bright orange bandana matches the stove that they're pushing down the street. Oh, it's so uh, good. Oh, it's just so well done. It's ridiculous to me. It's like everything. Doris woke up from uh, being asleep, and and I talked to her. She looked at the screen and went to bed. And then uh, she went like she went ah, and went to bed. <laughs> Painter in the closet. Went. But I was talking to her later, and she's like, "Oh, that looked uh, that looked pretty typical for you." <laughs> I said, "Yeah, it's like everything. Coen Brothers and Wes Anderson." Uh, in terms of design, all yes. smooshed together. Yeah, in a really good way. Yeah, it's just it's crazy to me. I love I love all the lighting and the way they've like shot scenes where one wall's painted the same, but the lighting makes it a completely different color. Oh, oh man, it's just beautiful stuff. So when he's in the asylum, it's all oranges and avocados, mm-hmm. and that and that definitely plays with the time that weird sort of fifties, sixties vibe to the kitchen kind of thing, but. The oranges is a very orange is a very interesting color from color theory, right? It's not any of the, it's not a passive color and it's not a uh, an aggressive color, but it's a little bit of an uneasy color, right? Right. And then when and then when when they have the the power swap, everything goes red blue, right? Which I thought was really interesting, really vivid red and really vivid blue, yeah, Neon, right. And then once they escape and they're out in the world, then it's all greens. Yes. Calming, calming greens and neutral, very neutral palettes and stuff. It's not that desaturated thing. It's just the density of the forest. Like everything has that really sort of calming feel to it. Yeah. Um, also, how about, I don't know what you think about the significance to them shooting in the glass house 
Oh. <laughs> architecturally one of my favorite things ever. Yeah, that's um, really interesting. They Yeah, it's 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 just such a cool location for it. You know, the the idea that this is a room where they're going to do uh, you know, men, mental therapies and get to the truth of things and see things and so you have basically a a transparent structure. Mm-hmm. I thought that's fantastic. But at the same time, how interesting that they're using a mechanism straight out of uh, L. Ron Hubbard's uh, cult, right? With the little hand, the little oh, yeah, grips totally. they're holding. Yeah, isn't that that's straight up um, Scientology, right? I believe so. Yeah. So yeah, pretty amazing. I love it. I love the way it looks, and I love that it's so um, undefinable. Yes. Yeah, it's it's just so great, and like even just the simple way they do the big block text with like the the blues and pinks swirling in the letters is so cool. I love all of those little details. Did you notice that uh, Jermaine Clement from Flight of the Concords is in it? Pardon? He apparently is in one episode of it. Uh. That's interesting. Uh, bubble, bubble, what? Yeah, Jermaine from really? Flight of the Concords. Yeah. Well, I know him well. I, I didn't. I didn't know that he has. He already been on screen. I don't he think so. It just says one episode, and it doesn't tell what episode he's in. So we'll have to. Huh. We'll have to keep an eye out on that because I love Jermaine. <laughs> you do. <too. laughs> so I think that's kind of funny. Yeah, I don't know, man. This I um. I'm in love with this show. Like, I like it so much more than I could possibly have imagined liking it. It's just crazy. Oliver Bird. Jermaine Clement. Oliver Bird. Huh. Yeah, like, yeah they I'm, have super, a, I'm super curious. Yeah, they have a picture of him from it, and they, they list it as being chapter one, but there's no way he was in the first episode and neither of us caught him. <laughs> yeah, un- uncredited, it says... It's interesting. Mm, well, that's interesting. I mean, it can only get better, right? Right. Yeah. Oh, there he is. Okay. Uh, yeah, you just sent me that photo. Yeah, we have not seen him. No, I didn't think so. That scene looks totally unfamiliar to me. Unless he was a... Maybe he was a background character in some sequence. He might have but been. why? Just but why? Out. <laughs> you need to charge your phone in. Yes, I do. <laughs> well, anything else on this? I mean, it's, really, it's super exciting. It's so early. We don't really know what's going on yet. But yeah, I love it. Yeah. Yeah, I would I'll tell eight you. Eight episodes, I think. What's that? I think it's eight episodes, so we're almost halfway through. But I love that. Um, like, I, it's like a, I really want it to be on HBO or something so they could go even further with it. But I love that it's FX and not basic, you know, Me too. Normal, normal channels because they're, they're getting a lot more. Um, they're going further, and they're and they're um, being. It's not risque, but they're yeah. letting they're letting it uh, breathe a little bit in a way that a, a regular show wouldn't have been able to do. Yeah, they have the I know there's a way to do what they want to do with it, regardless of rating, which I think yeah. is really nice. Um, I think I was okay. Here's another thing. Uh, the first episode was my favorite. I really loved all of yes. the imagery and the confusion and not knowing what's going on. Um. But and frankly, I didn't realize they had power swapped. I didn't really grasp that's what was happening. I didn't either. It was a little confusing, which I think is fine mm-hmm. because a it was supposed to be confusing, but also two, 
maybe they didn't power swap. Right. Like, we don't really know if that's what, if, again, this could have just been his, a, a, a psychic lash out. I don't, yeah. I don't know. But then the second episode, and it was pulling that Matrix thing, and I was having some concerns that they had pulled right into a much more structured formula. Yeah. Oh, we're going we're gonna to rein that in, and you're going to be part of this group, and look, we're this whole organization, and we got you covered, and we're going to answer all your questions or whatever. And then by the third episode, you see them in over their head. That's when I got – then I was – sort of restored my confidence a little bit. I agree. Yeah, like taken as a whole – the three together make such a solid batch of episodes. But yeah, like the first one was really good, but it was a little confusing. The second one, it, like you said, it really did feel like it was starting to veer into too safe a territory. And then the third one was just great again. And I think it was very deliberate that they were yeah. making it that way. I think that they were trying to set up like, look, everything is going to be great. No, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> right? um, another uh, thing that I remembered that I thought of last night when I was watching it was, uh, the safe place that young David ran to in the in the construct of that memory that became not even Ptolemy said it's not maybe this isn't memory right right it's like well maybe I've been tricked maybe this isn't memory but actually just just in know, his head world, somewhere world universes or yeah right, right mental mental universes but I thought it was interesting that young David ran into an HVAC duct and wormed his way all the way back there into a corner which is an extremely claustrophobic. Mm-hmm. And I know kids like to run to little, you know, safe places, but it's really hard to imagine that the safe place is a ductwork. And granted, right. he's smaller than she was, and certainly things are are crazy when Mojo Dude's coming in, and you yeah. know all that other stuff's happening. But um, it did not feel safe in there at all. <laughs> I guess that's what I'm saying. <laughs> that's because you're not a tiny schizophrenic, Tom. Well, that's true. I haven't been for a while. So that's Legion. I'm really excited yeah. about it. I really want it to stay crazy. I want it to be really unpredictable and surreal. And I really hope it goes the direction of, um, uh, well, surreality. But I want it to be. I want it to not answer the question. I really want it to leave a lot um, unanswered. Yes. And open interpretation. I really. I don't feel the need to have everything defined. Yeah. Yeah. I agree completely. Yes, so good. We'll definitely talk about it on the next episode, too, because we'll have a few more episodes under our belt, and we'll talk about, like, the next three or something like that, I think. Yeah. Because obviously both of us are going to continue watching. (laughs) So this is a good uh, time for a little brief break. Yeah, we'll take a Um, Deeply Dapper Dispatch's podcasts are all brought to you by Deeply Dapper, of course. Whether you're looking for geeky decor, strange and unusual nerdy soap, or a piece of fine art for your walls, Deeply Dapper is your answer. Everything we make is handmade by my wife and I, and have been featured on sites like Wired, Reddit, Shut Up and Take My Money, BuzzFeed, and more. Give the gift of geek, or class up your own home with DeeplyDapper.com. You can also find us on Etsy or one of our many Comic-Con stops around the western United States. Deeply Dapper, better living through tentacles. Now, back to the show. Alright, so we're back. Uh, I think that basically brings us to our Red Tentacle recommendations for the month, Tom. This is a new thing. Yeah. A Red Tentacle recommendation we didn't apply a red tentacle to Legion because the entirety of the experience was the red. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, uh, but, you know, yeah. each of us often, and not always, but we occasionally ingest some sort of entertainment separate from each other. And <laughs> it's something worth talking about and being like, hey, you guys might like this. <laughs> so what's, 
What's, what's your red tentacle recommendation? <laughs> well, uh, we went and saw Get Out the other day, and which I miss. Which I miss. miss <laughs> my un, I, my un, I unintentionally described as the Get Down to you, which was <laughs> But what if there was a Get Down Get Out hybrid? That would be really interesting. That would be a little more musical than this was. Very possibly. <laughs> so this is the. It's a horror movie from uh, Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele. Yeah, Jordan Peele. That's his name. Uh, out. Of Key and Peele. Gosh, so weird. And he wrote and directed it. Right. And, you know, like, knowing that, watching it, you can tell. It's obviously directed by somebody that hasn't really directed film before. Um, so the, the direction isn't super strong, but oh, interesting. he nails the suspense and the horror aspect. There's a good amount of humor in it. Um... It's it was really enjoyable. I, I I liked it a lot. It has obviously it's got some social commentary because that's what those guys do is they do social commentary in an entertaining fashion. Um, and it's got some fun little nods to other movies and stuff. I thought it was really fun. It's uh, it seems to have just taken. It took me by surprise. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just couldn't believe. I didn't know he had that um, interest and tools in his mm-hmm. toolbox, right? Um, I think it's fascinating, and it sounds like I mean I I, I knew I was not going to get to it, so I I just read about it and uh-huh. got it spoiled for me. But and what an interesting and timely satire, dark satire. Right? It is absolutely on race relations in in, in America. So mm-hmm. really interesting. Yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, it's got it's obviously horror, but it's got just a touch of sci-fi, and it's got a solid amount of humor and social commentary. And, you know, like, the weakest part of it's definitely the music. The score is really heavy-handed. Oh, uh, like, uh, like scary music? Well, not even just scary music, but, like, during the the lighter times, the music's, like, super obnoxiously, like, la, 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 kind of thing. Oh, weird. So, yeah, it's really odd. I don't, I don't know who did the score for it, but it's definitely the weakest part. But it's really easy to overlook because the movie's fun as hell. I'm trying to remember what I watched recently. It might have been Legion. I was watching something and I was thinking about once again. If we have a future subject that we want to talk about, right? Mm-hmm. It's a future date. We're going to talk about music and or soundtracks and how they make or break projects. But yes. um, I always go back to the to the when when it is done wrong because I love when it's done right. I buy the soundtracks. I listen to it all the time. Right. It becomes a part of the experience. But when it's done wrong, it can be so frustrating because. You can see how it ruined, like Lady Hawk, right? Yeah. Lady Hawk's like the principal example of what were they thinking? <laughs> Even if you set aside the chrome, the weird little chrome doodads and bedazzled uh, uh, mail that they're wearing and all that other stuff. Right. If you take away the synth music and you give it a sort of a classic orchestrated um, soundtrack, it would be totally different. It would. Right. Although I kind of enjoy and, the, the synth soundtrack. I just have to be in the mood for it. But I totally well, agree. <laughs> I know many people who have disagreed with me about To Live and Die in L.A.'s soundtrack um, as being dated and weird and not feeling right, and I absolutely love that Wayne Chung business even though it's really dated. But, uh, and, of course, you love Labyrinth, so, of course, you like all that yes. stuff. Yes. But uh, I think it was Legion I was watching where I realized that um, if you were to change the music on this, it would be so bad. Yeah. Like, you could undo all of the mood if it had one of those... Forced twelve monkeys style, like 
Things are crazy. Things are crazy. Kind of yeah, absolutely. whimsical little soundtracks. You know what I mean? Ugh. <laughs> so anyway, I'm glad so what are you recommending for the month of <laughs> March 2017, Tom? Well, I well I accused myself of intending to watch Peaky Blinders for the all of last year's uh, recordings. Mm-hmm. All of our podcasts, I kept saying, up next, I'm going to watch Peaky Blinders. And I got through maybe half of the first season in amongst all my other projects. Okay. So I, I want to recommend this series again. I think it stops at three seasons. I just finished season two last night, and I'm going to start season three tonight. Um, I find it riveting. I mm-hmm. love it. And they actually have changed the story the, the the rise and I assume heading to the fall of this crime family has really changed the the way it's the framework under which I need to stop saying that word the way in which that the story is being told in season two is different than season one they're not the rowdy upstarts they're becoming they became pop, became successful and now he's biting off more than he can chew and there's a lot of you know the the stakes are higher it's been really fascinating and again talking about you you know a basic Peaky Blinders, right? You know, you understand the the basics of that show, or no? I'm I'm vaguely aware of it, yeah. So post World War One, uh, Irish gangs in Birmingham, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, it, it's so I guess. Oh, so what I was going to say was um, in season two, Tom Hardy joins the cast, which was what I was waiting for. Oh, and, I did and, not know that. And and, he, and he's really interesting in it. And there's a bunch of other people that you would recognize. It's fantastic, but. There's another project where the music is absolutely tied to it because it's it's basically trading on a some continually a continued variations on um, uh, oh gosh really Nick Cave Nick Cave and his Bad Seeds oh okay so the Red Right Hand is a direct reference in here okay mm-hmm. so. In the first season, it's basically it's the intro music to the title sequence, and then the and then it's it's used periodically throughout. And then there's other similar sort of music that's used here and there. But so they're using modern, dark kind of dark grungy modern um, rock, hmm. which is a little bit disparate to the time period yeah. that it's. But it works really well because it has the imagery, right? And so in season two, one episode they were different artists doing weird bluesy drunk and dark versions like covers of nick cave hmm. and uh, and then they slipped into other artists like uh pj harvey was was on a recent one and there was another they all work so well even though they're very they're fundamentally different um uh different styles mm-hmm. it works really well together in this in the show Interesting. Um, so anyway i i'm gonna start season three uh tonight and if you haven't watched pd blinders i'd say get on it's on netflix um, i shall add it to my list Please do. After Interstellar. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's about it, right? Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's it for the month of March. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Talking about February for March. Okay, I'm with you. Yeah, something like that anyway. The month of March. I think right? okay, this will be out in March anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> as long as the creek don't rise. Right. Well, how can people get a hold of us if they wanted to do that? If- well, they can always go to robot-kraken.com, where one of us diligently continues to update the site, while the other one has completely forgotten all of his login details. Okay. <laughs> uh, they can also... So let's see here. We've got Twitter, which neither of us have updated in a very long time. 
It's a lot of work. We it is. You know the, the problem is is we suck. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's the barometer I'd use. Yeah, yeah, okay. I don't know. Uh, Twitter, Twitter activity is uh, indicative of anything, but I don't remember the logins for the for for our actual um, podcast Twitter account. So <laughs> I all I can do is like uh, hashtag it or whatever it is or or, or uh, you yeah. Know, I keep posting our it. name in things for it, and it's like yeah, oh, right. <laughs> we, we're old. We don't know how to Twitter. <laughs> it doesn't matter anymore. Um, so yeah, robot-kraken.com. Yeah. 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 What, about you? what about your stuff? Uh, you can also go to deeplydapper.com and s- stream and download the episodes. Uh, you can also sh- check out my shop there, the blog, all sorts of random nonsense. There's links there to my email, to my Instagram, my Twitter, my Facebook, which is all just Deeply Dapper. So I'm pretty easy to find. Lucky you, man. How how dost thou findeth you, Tom? Well, okay, so um, I'm only going to let you do that Renaissance Fair business once a month. (laughs) Um, So I'm Third Rail Design Lab. And uh, best place to go is my website, thirdraildesignlab.com, where you can buy books and prints and and such, and more books and more prints. And then also, uh, and then, you know, on the associated social media, you can follow the links off that website. To find me, usually I'm Third Rail Design Lab. Sometimes I'm TRDL. The Russians won't. Tom. That's right. The Russians won't let go of the acronym, so I still don't have it. But uh, yeah, um, I, 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 two people have actually emailed me, which was heartening to know that people cared. Um, the the long running blog that I had that was at Third Rail TRDLcomics.com that, oh, yeah. that, um, that I used as the placeholder before I put the site back together, and it was going on for several years. That's where I post all the process stuff, mm-hmm. right? Well, in the course of all of the, the domain changes and all the other things going on in the back of house, a lot of it has broken. Ah. So temporarily, it's really frustrating. We're going under – we have some growing pains because the that site is, is – depending on when you try to access and what you try to access, it's down. Mm-hmm. And then also DeviantArt, which is another main um, – right. probably most popular place for the jam anyway, the art jam um, – they broke some codes, so now I can't create folders. I can't create new folders, and I can't reorganize things. And so I'm still running the jam and announcing it, but at the same time, I'm not creating the folders to put the art in, so people are just populating the featured folder, and that's fine. Right. Hopefully, they'll get it fixed. I, I, I did a tech support request, and they go, thank you. We're going we're gonna to tell the internal design team, and we're going to mark this closed. I'm like, hey, that's not how this works, man. <laughs> that's super helpful, yeah. That's like saying, but, uh, hey, I didn't yeah. get my package. And they'll be like, eh, that sucks. A couple, <laughs> a couple quick things, though, before we go um, in terms of personal marketing. I put the question out on the Facebook pages and on the forum and on DeviantArt and even on Robot Kraken. For anybody who has read the old uh, Third Rail source books that we put out in 2008 um, and are familiar with wow. it was. And are at all familiar with the Third Rail original universe characters and all that stuff that we started doing? Tell me which ones were your favorites or which which ones you like the most because I'm going to pull a few at random and make sure that we either redraw because we're updating some of those arts for the new books. Right. And if they haven't already been redrawn or redesigned, um, we will do that for the people that we've selected. And if we already did updated art, then we'll do another piece of art for you, but you'll get the original art as well. Right. So that's kind of a fun thing. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, and then also, um, I'm going to do the same in March 
or I guess hmm, this is in March. I'm going to do the same for March as I did with February, which is I'm just going to post a month's worth of art jams at the same time so people can bounce around and, and draw what they want to draw. So I'll have that up probably, well, by the time this uh, is released, it will be available and cool. we'll have an all-weapon-themed March. Nice. So prepare nice. to draw. Yeah, no, I, I, this is not official, but I'm hoping that by the time the next episode is up, so we'll we'll talk about it if it is on our next recording, but I'm hoping to have our group Patreon for both Deeply Dapper Dispatches and Robot Kraken Live by then as well. Sweet. And if that's something that we can get going, we're hoping to get enough people, you know, just pitching in a couple of bucks here and there just to try and, like, mitigate the amount of time I spend editing these and maybe justify us doing, like, some separate special shows, like when Game of Thrones comes back. You know you and I are going to want to do weekly shows, but with the monthly <laughs> format, that might be a little difficult. But if we've got Patreon going on, we could release those as they come out and then compile them into the monthly show, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think there's some good opportunities to do some custom content for people yeah. who join the Patreon. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. I'll join it. <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> so well, I, I think that's everything for the month, dude. All right. Well, I hope you feel better, man. And try not to. Uh, we'll get better, and then yeah. try to stay better so that we can bang out the next uh, few recordings before one of us loses a limb or something. Yeah. yeah, we're. I'm coming up on con season, so it's gonna get a little harder. But we're gonna still try and bring you a full load of quality content every month. So. The laptop and the microphone, man, I'm telling you. We hope you are enjoying things. We uh, Please leave us some feedback. Review us on iTunes. Uh, send us an email or a tweet. We at least know how to look at the tweets. <laughs> That's true. You know, iTunes is driving me nuts because many, many people, mo- admittedly not strangers, but many people we know have told us that uh, they've tried to... They've subscribed and they've given reviews on iTunes and they just go into a black hole and I don't know what yes, to do. Yes, it's the strangest thing, yeah. yeah I don't if know. you haven't done that, do it again. If you have done <laughs> that, do it again. Yes, yes. Just keep doing it and doing keep it. Keep submitting some, uh, reviews until they accept them because that's the key to getting more exposure on iTunes is to have uh, yeah. people interact with the feed. So Yeah. yeah. And tell your friends. Tell, tell your friends. <laughs> tell your friends' friends. Tell your friends' moms. All right. <laughs> So, have a good month, everybody. Let's put the Kraken back in the the thing. In the bottle. sounds you know just because i have the mute on doesn't mean i don't still have my headphones in